aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david bass and thank you for listening david yeah how you doing oh i'm running down i know i'm getting over a cold yeah or it could be the fact that i'm old now yes that's right i mean you're older than i was the last time the listeners heard from me yeah (laughs) (laughs) and yet you're not too old to make that type of joke well i think you age into those types of jokes oh you think i've been making those types of jokes since i was too young to be making them see when i worked at the video store okay I worked at multiple video stores. When I worked in college and people would uh, sign up new accounts, they would invariably ask me, what's the date today? Oh, no. And I would say, like, today's the 20th. I would say, oh, it's the 20th all day long. (laughs) 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 And this is as, like, a 19, (laughs) 20-year-old thinking that was hilarious. Now I'm getting into the age where it's like, I'm not actually a dad, but I'm, like, old enough to make dad-type jokes. To me, it's, it's, I guess, yeah, I guess everything is cyclical, but it's sort of like when you were in elementary school or something like that and Christmas break was about to happen and (laughs) then you're, and then your friend is seeing next year. It's like next year. What? Oh, I get it. It's actually only going to be two weeks. Oh, my friend is very clever. Yeah. I'm joking. Nobody ever thought that. Uh, if I anything, think probably the first time when I was like in third grade, the, the, first, the time very like, first time. Yeah. yeah. And then you realize, holy shit, everyone's yeah. going to make this joke forever. Uh, and then there's a gap. And then uh, and then you started making the jokes like that again. Um, so we were talking off mic before we started recording with our guests. We were talking about uh, people we know who have kids. Mm-hmm. I've been rewatching The Sopranos. Okay. And Tony Soprano is not allergic to uh, a dad joke. Right. He makes one that I I now can't wait for my kids, for my friends to have kids who are like high school age so that I can make this joke. Mm-hmm. When he says to Big Pussy's son, he says, uh, um, so your dad tells me you're taking up astronomy in college. And he goes, no, business. And he goes, oh, how come your dad's always saying you're taking up space in school? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to drop that on, some, on someone and embarrass them. I remember I was... I was uh, in a theater uh, production um, in Springfield at the Stained Glass Theater. You went and saw me at one of them. And uh, there was this older actor named Sam who was just a a delightful guy, and he loved puns. And so it quickly, our relationship turned into a situation where we would be talking, and then he would start to smile. I'm like, okay, hang on. What did I just say uh-huh. that is going that is going to lead to a pun? And I would try to beat him to it, and I would usually do pretty well. I'm like, no, 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 okay, and then I got it. <laughs> and then he'd be like, no, all right. But then one day I was uh, getting ready for the, you know, the show was uh, that evening, and so I was like uh, in the mirror, like putting on my on my makeup, and I was spraying my hair, and he came up and he goes, let us spray. And I was like, damn it, Sam. I was like, Oh, I did not see that one coming, but, uh, I yeah. was, it's, it has stayed with me real quick. Another one of my favorite puns that anyone ever made to me was in my other videos. The first video star worked at mm-hmm. my boss, uh, who was like an, uh, really cool, but like aging new age, like hippie type yeah. guy. Um, but he told me like, as we, like he was like uh, during orientation river, he was like, uh, so we get paid weekly, very weekly. 
Yeah, I like that joke. I think they're they're at their most powerful when you do not see them coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you're like, oh, you got you got me with. Uh, and I'm sure he did. I'm sure he said that to every new employee. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, that yeah. was his one joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, but he well, was a, he was a cool guy. I can't remember his name now. Oh, that's unfortunate. But he was the kind of guy. He was like he's like, look, my kids are teenagers. I tell my kids, hey, when it comes time that you're interested in experimenting with hallucinogens. Tell me, we'll do it at home in the living room. <laughs> um, and I like, I kind of love that that approach. But also, no teenager wants That's, to do acid with their yeah. dad in the living room, not for the first time, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, okay, so yeah, let's pay some bills. Let's pay some bills. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it around, and this time I'm going to talk about Broker 2 before our old standby of movie. Okay. So, but what is Broker 2, David? I'll tell you. Broker 2 is a thrilling, dark comedy about a small-town serial killer just trying to make it in the Big Apple. After starting a relationship with non-murderer Sarah, he must fend off a rival organization of serial killers and question his way of life. Will he keep up his murderous ways, or is he just another small fish in a big pond? Broker 2 is currently in production, but needs your help to become a reality. I will say this, four days in, and they're already 17% of the way there, which is great uh, for this type of uh, fundraiser, but they still have a long way to go. Backer incentives include a copy of the film, bloody costumes worn on screen, an ice cream with the director or a credit of your choice. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means you can just create a random credit or if you can claim director. Uh, I don't know what it means. I think it's probably the former. I would assume so, but who, Hey, who knows if they're that desperate for money? Yeah. Maybe they'll be like uh, producer. That's whatever. You can be the lead. Not actually, but you can be uh, considered the lead. Uh, so, Okay. Uh, but yeah, so if you want to be a part of Broker 2, just go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Broker ad uh, on the right-hand side of the page. So that is one sponsor. Our other is, of course, as Check. always... <laughs> Check one off the list. One, okay, all right. <laughs> one down. Exactly. <laughs> Got Money, that out of the money's list. in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but do check it out. It's, it looks like a, a really cool trailer and I just like the, uh, sensibilities of, of this director. Um, okay. So, uh, this episode is also brought to you by movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent international and classic films. Every day movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only eight ninety nine a month. Plus when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline currently available on movie is the Darden brothers two days one night starring Marion Cotillard in an Oscar nominated performance the film features Cotillard as a factory worker who discovers that her co-workers uh, have received a bonus in exchange for her dismissal from her job and she only has a weekend to convince her colleagues to give up their bonuses so she can keep her job now I actually everything about this seems like my kind of movie but I have not seen it did you see the film yeah I oh hang on now <laughs> I I've known you long enough to know that that means you hate this film no I didn't hate it I love the Darden brothers mm-hmm. going back to Rosetta probably okay and I have felt like the last like the kid with the bike and mm-hmm. two days one night feel like they've softened a little bit interesting you know and I mean, I, 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 I know most people like including my wife love two days one night yeah yeah i i've got this weird thing where i want to be 
shaken to my core uh, by a Darden Brothers movie, and sometimes I feel like that's they're a little they've become a little a little maybe a little more sentimental as they've as they've gotten older. Okay, and uh, uh, it it's just it's a personal thing. That's interesting. But it's, it's definitely, look, I would definitely recommend checking it out because I truly love the Dardenne brothers. I think they're uh, among the greatest working. And I think you and I have actually discussed this with uh, Alexander Payne that I feel like as he got older, he kind of lost some of his edge as well. Um, but yeah, you are correct that uh, everything, I've not yet seen uh, Two Days, One Night. Everything about it seems like my kind of movie, but it's one of those that I just missed at the time. But now I have the opportunity to see again uh, as a function of movie and based on what everybody has said, I will probably enjoy it. Um, because I guess I enjoy sentimental schmaltz that you are just too hard, too hard edged <laughs> to enjoy. But anyway, uh, it is uh, considered one of the Dardenne's finest, uh, as far as, uh, reviews and, uh, you know, various scores go and that sort of thing. So, uh, and then there is a special offer for listeners of battleship pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M U B I.com slash battleship to redeem now. Uh, and I would like to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Tyler, today uh, I was listening. No, I have, not, I have yet to see the new film White Boy Rick. Okay. But the score is available to listen to. It's by Max Richter, um, who, was, who last year did the really great score for Hostiles, even though I think that movie is... Uh, um, let's just move on. <laughs> um, okay. uh, that's not the point here. Uh, but he did hostels. He did uh, the score for into the forest. Uh, and now his white boy Rick score is out. It's great. Okay. It made me, I, I already wanted to see white boy Rick, but now I want to see it even now. I now I want to see it even more. Um, that's weird. I uh, don't want to see you at all. <laughs> I don't want you to see it at all right now. In fact, I don't uh, want to see you. And then you know what I mean. else I listened to today? What's that? Uh, no, you like this is a band you like. Okay, I find, you, this this will blow your mind. But, uh, at least it blew my mind. So two nights ago in Colorado at the Red Rocks Amphitheater, Nine Inch Nails played the song "The Perfect Drug" from oh, the Lost yeah. Highway soundtrack live for the first time. For the so, first time, song's twenty one years old. They had never played it live somehow. I don't know how that is possible, but I read that and I was like, I think I'm going to spend today listening to the perfect drug sure. multiple times. Yeah. Uh, cause it's, uh, one of their best songs. Uh, it's a really, really great song. Anyway, all of this stuff, mm-hmm. white boy, Rick, the perfect drug, which is also from a, from a movie. It's from the lost highway soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds and you can have the same experience, uh, for a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. Um, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please, I beg of you, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? 
Uh, I'm about to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. maybe if you didn't say white so breath, uh, breathlessly. <laughs> yeah, I used up so yeah. much of my... Yeah. White boy, yeah. Rick. So, uh, today, we are going to be recapping the Toronto International Film Festival. But, uh, hold on. Is that I, what we're going to be I can, I can be already doing? see yeah. you protesting. You weren't there. No, I wasn't. You weren't there, and so we have... I wasn't uh, there. I didn't know. Yeah, didn't exactly. Yeah. You don't know what it was like, man. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, um, so we brought in a, a guest, uh, one of our favorite guests, even though she's only been on once before, um, uh, who, but was at the Toronto Film Festival. Sorry, the Toronto International Film Festival. Don't mm-hmm. leave out that part. Uh, from Mashable.com, it's Angie Ahn. Hello. <laughs> Hello. David, are you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> You did just take some Dayquil. Yeah, uh, it's, it'll it probably kick, kick in. in in about a half hour. Yeah. So, Angie, how have you been? I've been pretty good. I think I'm doing better than you right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you and I had so much fun hanging out in Toronto. Oh, wait. <laughs> I never saw you once. In fact, I saw almost no one that I knew at all the entire five days that I was there. Except, I mean, I saw our friend, uh, hat tip to our friend uh, Jeremy Woodcock mm-hmm. um, at front of the show and uh, uh, TV comedy writer Jeremy Woodcock who let mm-hmm. me stay at his place in Toronto, um, which is pretty much the only way I could afford to go to TIFF uh, was the free lodging. Um, Maybe if our listeners buy more of those commentaries, just putting that out there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or, you know, tweakdarnia.com. We can see some of that. Um, yeah, uh, this was not your first TIFF. It was my third. Okay. I have been to three Sundance Film Festivals and kind of felt like, okay, so I know what the big film festival thing is. No, TIFF is enormous and kind of overwhelming. Um, I had a great time and I saw a lot of great movies, but I was not prepared for the fact that I just didn't see any. Like, when I'm at Sundance, I see people that I know, like, at every screening almost, you know? I didn't see anyone the entire time you saw a f- you saw someone that you used to know uh with uh you saw daniel bergamini correct yeah whom i've like, never met in person that's true but, yeah, uh, yeah. For, former battleshipretention.com contributor uh dan bergamini who is not even a torontonian and was not at the film festival just happened to be in toronto at the time yeah and was like hey let's get a drink um so yeah i managed to see Yes, two of my Canadian friends who were not attending the film festival (laughs) and almost none of my uh, uh, other friends. I saw lots of people I knew. We were all just hanging out without you, I guess. Apparently. Yeah. Um, Well, I've also realized why, because you sent me the list of movies you saw that we'll be talking about today, and we only had one crossover. So I think that's why I think you were at the movies that I guess everyone was going to, and I had my own little weird uh, film festival, I guess, off, off by myself. Literally every day of the festival, we would text each other they'd be like what are you seeing today and then every single day it was like oh well um see you in LA probably <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah I mostly uh I like I said before I want to highlight the uh international part of the Toronto International Film Festival because I did have a very international heavy a world world cinema heavy uh film festival which I, is another I hate to keep using Sundance as a reference but like that's the only major film festival, uh, you know, no disrespect to the Los Angeles film festival, uh, which I love, but, um, the, the only major, other major film festival that I've, uh, have experienced with is Sundance. And, um, certainly there are foreign movies at Sundance too, but, uh, Toronto, you could, you could have a festival of nothing but world cinema if you wanted, uh, which is pretty cool. 
Um, I didn't do that entirely, but I came close to that. Um, and then I did the opposite, where I saw almost exclusively American films. That's why there was <laughs> so little yeah. overlap. That's right. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> so uh, MAGA. <laughs> right. Yes. We had to go to Canada <laughs> to make America great again. Yeah. All right. Um, so what was your impression of this year's film, Toronto Film International Film Festival overall? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have like a good, like catchy, like this year was better than usual or whatever. Uh, it, it's, I think one of the things that makes Toronto different from Sundance is that at Sundance, it's a lot more like kind of like guessing and hoping for the best. Cause those tend to be films that are more often by filmmakers. You don't really know that well, right, starring right. people you don't really know that well. Like it, you, it's it, it's more of a gamble. Whereas at Toronto, one of the good and bad things about it is a lot of these films have already played at Venice or Telluride or sometimes even Cannes. So you kind of by the time you get to see it, sometimes you already kind of know what the buzz is and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let, let let me talk about something I, uh, I that I had heard about that I had kind of forgotten about it until it started that. During the okay, so the the worst part about any festival, I think, for people who attend a festival and see multiple movies over multiple days, is the bumpers at the beginning of the movies, which you get sick of by the end of the first day, right? At any every festival, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, like you you grow to hate the people in them. I feel um, like the first like one or two, you're like, ooh, this is fun because I'm at the festival, and then new. by like yeah. the sec- like the maybe the third or fourth one, you're just like, get on with it. Yeah. But what Toronto has in the public screenings, not at the press and industry screenings, is weird little traditions that go along with the bumpers. Like people clapping during, like clapping to the beat during the L'Oreal commercial. Did you have that? Only um, once. I think oh, it really? did. I, I, I got that when I went to the midnight screening of Halloween. Okay, I, think so the the, I think the midnight screening crowd really tends do. to like really do those things up more than the other crowds. Yeah. Um, yeah. The midnight screen, they were definitely uh, really vocal um, during the bumpers, which was kind of fun there. Cause there was another one that was the, the ad for um, uh, voting for the, the audience. Food. It was all like, uh, uh, there were two of them that I saw. There might've been more, but it was like, I think there's only two. One was like, Denny doesn't do dramas except for this one. Right. Yeah. And then the other one, the one they showed before, uh, the midnight movie that I saw was, uh, I think it was Trevor. I want to say it's I Trevor. I think it's but, Tyler's not thrilled by thrillers. Oh, was it except Tyler? This one, something like that. I, th- I think it was Trevor. Okay. Uh, but I, let's say Trevor because this is Trevor uh, works. So it, the whole thing is like, Trevor's not thrilled by thrillers except for this one. That's why he voted for it. And someone on the balcony shouted, good job, Trevor, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the one, the one that I had heard about beforehand that, um, you know, I want to be like, go with the flow and everything, but frankly kind of annoyed me is the, the pirate thing, which, so the last thing at the end is a thing, an anti-piracy ad, which no longer uses the word piracy, but I guess years ago it did say piracy. Mm-hmm. And so people started going arg during that. <laughs> and, uh, why does that make you so cranky? Were you planning on pirating something and now you feel bad? No, I think, you know what, you know what it is? Since we talked earlier about it being uh, my birthday, right? Did we talk about that on the air? Yes. I think so. You was, were talking about how you're a year older and then oh, you guys yeah, said a whole right. thing. Yeah. So my birthday is September 19th. September 19th is talk like a pirate day. And I've always hated this. <laughs> I've always hated it. I feel like it's such a sort of like a, the, like, 
lowest, most hacky, basic level of like hipster irony to like sure. talk like a pirate for a day or whatever. Um, and so I think I have now this just sort of knee jerk anti like pirate stereotype type of thing. <laughs> Even though I think I like I, I'm really in like I don't think pirates are cool like like killed people and robbed people and stuff. It was not really cool. But um, I'm really fascinated by actual pirates. Uh, so like the kind up, that steal movies off the internet? No, but I mean like the golden age of piracy. Oh, like the Pirates the of the Caribbean, 1600s, 1700s. I was yeah. going to say, if somebody came up to you on your birthday, talk like Pirate <laughs> Day, and said, I'm the captain now, <laughs> would you have more respect? I would like that. Okay. Because that's, that's clearly not what people mean when they say that, right. and I would like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, it, so I, I just described all of the pre-show rituals and Angie you gave me a puzzled look throughout it did you not experience this no I did I wasn't I wasn't being puzzled I think right. it's just the cold months kicking in <laughs> uh, but let me so I'm all, uh, I'm the last thing I ever am is a joiner so I obviously did not participate in any of this do you clap along with the L'Oreal ads do you arg at the at the anti-piracy message I do not I think the only <laughs> thing that I really do is you know I think they do this at Sundance too where they have the little ad about the volunteers and then everyone oh, yeah. like applauds them absolutely like you all- you're a dick if you don't I do that one yeah my uh, I've said this for years I clap more and harder for volunteers at film festivals than I do for the filmmakers. The um, filmmakers get enough applause, yeah, exactly. you know, it's fine. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, so we, you and I spent uh, the better part of a week uh, in the same three-block area and never saw each other once, just as a, again, a hint as to how big... Um, Toronto is in terms of, uh, in, in terms of attendance and in, uh, even like, I mean, even the, the theaters where the press and industry screenings are, are enormous theaters and they're full most of the time. Um, not for everything. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the movies we saw. Yes. Now along those lines, now we didn't talk about this beforehand, but David, how many movies do you have to talk about? Uh, I saw 15 movies, but then I also have a couple that I saw before the festival. Angie? Uh, maybe 11 or so. Okay. So here's what I think uh, we're going to do. You're going to set a timer? Yeah. I, you'll <laughs> notice I have my stopwatch uh, okay. app here. Uh, let's say a minute and a half per film. All right. Is I, that, think is that, I think that'll actually be easier because we have so little overlap. Right. Yeah. So there's not there's not that much risk of a lot of back and forth. All right. Oh, uh, well, here at Battleship Pretension, we can always weigh in on anything. Yeah. Oh, so you're the kind of you're the, the kind of movie review podcast that reviews movies you haven't seen. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's more just like uh, the vibe I'm getting based on what you're saying is this, and it reminds me of this early story from my uh, my teenage years or something like that. Or from yeah. when David worked in the video store, for example, which then reminded me of a theater production I was in. Anyway. Yeah, that's how Battleship Pretension goes and has gone for 601 episodes. All right, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's what attracts and then repels sponsors. Okay. Um, okay, so should I just start then? Yeah, and when we, so when we get to... Tell you what, uh, I'm trying to think of like formatting because, you yeah, know, you if you talk show about... Us the, I don't want you actually like going, eh. No, good God, no. Yeah, do no, it not, like... I, not a monster. Like, um, you know, at the Comic-Con panels when they come up and, like, they have the sign that says, like, five minutes remaining yes, or whatever. Yeah. Just show it okay. to us. I'm just trying to think that, like, you know, some of these movies might require a little bit of explanation as far as the story, and, you know, I don't want a minute of your minute and a half to be just summary. 
Yeah. You know, so do I, st- maybe I start the timer. How about if I'm still saying, so- if, if Angie and I are still saying something that's interesting when the 90 seconds is over, I will say, we all get over it. <laughs> I'll say, I'll allow it. <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, all right. So, all right. David, so, here we go. I, and begin. I, I'm starting. I put these in alphabetical order, so Angie uh, doesn't have the list in front of her, so I'll be uh, uh, moving us along. I'm starting with uh, probably my second favorite film of the festival, actually. Uh, the new film by Jafar Panahi, or mm. Panahi, as I learned it's called, because the words Mr. Panahi are said approximately 800 times <laughs> in the movie. Uh, this is the fourth movie he's made since he's been banned from making movies in Iran. Um, uh, it's called Three Faces. Did I say that? I can't remember if I said that. Mm-mm. Uh, and as with the previous movies he's made under, uh, under the band, he plays himself in them. And then, uh, uh, um, another actress also, uh, plays herself, an actress named Madame, something, uh, uh, Jafarai. Um, and the premise is that a, uh, girl in a small village has sent her a message saying, I want to be an actress. I've been accepted to the conservatory. My parents are trying to marry me off and don't mean to go and I'm going to kill myself. And Mm. so, uh, Jafar Panahi and this actress set out to the countryside to go try and find this girl and hopefully stop her from killing herself. So yes, Mm. it's another entry in what I like to call this genre of the Iranian car drama (laughs) because there are a lot of Iranian movies (laughs) that take place mostly in cars. You've got on the Kiristami side, you've got 10 and you've got, uh, the taste of Sherry and then Jafar Panahi obviously has taxi and, uh, and, and now three faces. Um, uh, but really the, the three faces is really, uh, I think it refers to three different women who are all actresses. There's a third one who comes along, uh, all of different ages and therefore sort of representing different experiences at different times of, Iran's recent history, which has been very tumultuous. I mean, the, being an aging actress in Iran means you remember a time before the revolution, mm-hmm. you know, and being a young teenage aspiring actress in Iran means you don't remember a time before the revolution. And then obviously Mrs. Uh, Jeff Harai represents mm-hmm. the sort of uh, middle ground. And once again, it's just Jafar Panahi being uh, in, incredibly humanistic and also often quite funny uh, in, in, a, in a kind of dry uh, dry way um, and then also being incredibly uh, moving and, and, and making you realize how many different Irans there are. There's the idea that we have post-revolution of them uh, like, well, Iran is uh, this, you know uh, theocracy, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and realizing, well, there are people there who don't necessarily, you know, who have to live under that, but don't necessarily care that much. And there's, it, in some ways, it's a very, it's a very modern city, uh, modern country, just like, just like the ones we in the West would, are more uh, accustomed to. And in some ways, it is very much its own thing. And those things have to exist side by side. How am I doing? Okay, it is now three minutes. So um, I wanted to. I was going to let you go so I could kind of set a baseline for myself. I think a minute thirty is not going to work. Okay. So let's say two minutes. All right. And I will flash the phone at a minute thirty, and you know you have thirty seconds left. Okay. So um, I knew there was going to be a learning curve here, and uh, so yeah. Okay. Okay. Then also, but that was one of my favorite movies of the festival. There you there go. There might be other ones that I'm yeah. willing to just blow past. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Angie's up next. Ooh. Um, with a beautiful boy. Beautiful Boy. That one is one of three different movies that I was calling the boy dramas at <laughs> TIFF because there was Beautiful Boy, Boy Erased, and uh, Ben is back. Well, no, there's White Boy Rick. No, no, no. It's a, see, that one's like thematically different. These but two it are ha- all, those have boy in the title. 
that's not how this works. <laughs> so these three movies are all... Um, David, you're eating up her time. <laughs> uh, so um, Beautiful Boy is the one starring Timothy Chalamet as Steve Carell's son. And Timothy Chalamet has a drug addiction, and it's just about that. Um, it's obviously, you know, it's obviously very sad and everything. It's... Uh, but I feel like I was ex- I went in expecting to be more moved. I don't know the it's it's something about it just kind of left me cold. Um, I don't know. Did you see? You didn't see that one, did you? I didn't see it, but I saw the Broken Circle Breakdown, which was this director's. I love that one. So and then I, I yeah. did not love his second one, or the, not second one, but the one after that. Oh, what was after that? Belgica, isn't that him? Oh, was that him? I didn't see that. Yeah, that was him. But yeah, I didn't yeah, see yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, like this one's good, but it, 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 it I almost felt like it was, uh, you know, you see, you do, you do see a lot of like the what it's like to, you know, be from Steve Carell's perspective, a person that uh, loves an addict and wants to care for him and wants to help him and is just so, you know, it, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of anger and sadness and everything, and then from Timothy Chalamet's side, you do see a lot of, uh, you know, he's he's clearly like. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to have this problem either. Um, so there's, so it is a little bit complicated, but I don't know. Something about it kind of just felt a little bit emotionally reserved to me. It, there were other people though, you know, that I talked to who clearly were much more crushed by it than yeah. I was. So I, you know, this is just me speaking about my experience with the film. Other people seem to be a lot more into it. I think if you've seen, yeah, yeah that's okay. I can still comment. I, I will now stop because I actually, we're done yeah. with that. But I have a question. You have a comment. But yeah, I I would say if you've seen the Broken Circle Breakdown, you're like crushing or sadness level. Your bar is pretty high at that point. Well, that's true. Because that is literally, I would say literally in the running for the saddest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, It has just like inherently one of the saddest premises that you could possibly think of for a movie. Yeah, do you know what Broken Circle Breakdown is about? No, maybe I don't want to. It's about a young couple. Okay. Meet and they fall in love. Hey, all right. They get married. Sounds good. And they have a kid. Okay. And then the kid, very young, gets cancer and then dies. Okay. And then their marriage falls apart. (laughs) And that's the movie. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, all right. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Stands to reason. Did you have a question? Uh, yeah. Um, I was curious. Um, a, a common thread on this podcast, especially when our friend Scott is on it, but I'm pretty much right there with him, which is uh, being kind of iffy on the dramatic roles of Steve Carell. Um, how is see, he- I think I'm the opposite. I think I tend to like him. I think you do, yes. Um, and the, I represent the pro Foxcatcher uh, faction. There's a lot here. I like about Foxcatcher. I just feel like his character, it, it's a fine performance, but... I don't know. It's and and I thought he was pretty good in in uh, Battle of the Sexes, but for whatever, I Oof. just I think there's a heightened quality to him. Now he plays heightened characters, so there is that. But this is not that type of character, to my knowledge, and so I was wondering how he did. This is not that type of character. It's, he's a lot more kind of you know restrained. I thought he did pretty well. Like I you know I have no complaints. At the same time, I didn't walk out being like, oh my god, what a revelation or anything right. like that. So like. Yeah, I mean, pretty good. Is it, like, amazing? Am I like, oh, my God, give this man an Oscar? No. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit closer to, um, you know, in Little Miss Sunshine, where he's a little bit more subdued, like that kind of role. Yeah. Which, and you know, But more serious, obviously. I didn't mind him in that. And I think probably of those types of movies, I think probably the, the big short is my favorite of his performances because yeah. it's funny with the heightened yeah. thing and a genuine anger. I don't even like the big short that much. 
I, I have something to say, which okay. is three minutes is not even going to work because we just keep talking. Should we just pick like which movies we want to talk about? No, or something? we're going to do no, this. We're, do, we're doing all yeah. of them. All right. it'll, be, it'll be two minutes. And then if somebody has a comment or a question, then we'll have time for that. Okay. But so now we're moving on. We're moving on. Two minutes for you, David. No, it's actually Angie still. Oh, Angie, because we're going alphabetical. Oh, we're keep going, us, that's right. That's keep us right. in the in the boy world and tell us about Boy Erased. Uh, okay, so I saw these movies in that back to back in that order. I saw Beautiful Boy and then I saw Boy oh, Erased. Like a portmanteau, Beautiful Boy See, Erased. That's the problem. <laughs> they're not. They're not that similar, but they're also not that different. I okay. kind of walked out feeling like I had seen four hours of one movie. So this one stars Lucas Hedges, and it is also about a uh, you know young man with a troubled relationship with his parents. In this case, the um, you know it's based on Lucas Hedges is gay, and his parents were played by Russell Crowe and uh, Nicole Kidman. For some reason, this movie set in I think the South is all full of Australians. I guess because Joel Edgerton directed it. Um, you know they're very uh. religious and they send him to a gay conversion therapy camp. So that is what this one is about. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're talking about both of these together because I kind of saw them together and linked them in my head together and I can't really untangle them anyway. Um, but I feel like in both cases, it just kind of seemed like, um, uh, I don't know, there was just something very kind of a, a little bit too well-mannered about it almost, you know, like uh, like like maybe the movie was a little bit like in both, not that I need every movie about someone having problems to be like, just like, you know, horrifying or anything like that. But it's just in both movies, it kind of felt, and especially in Boy Race, it felt a little bit to me like they, like one of the things that was maybe keeping me from it was that it felt like they were, you know, a little kind of just trying really hard to keep me on the side of these characters and all and things like that. Um, and then um, Boy Erased in particular, Lucas Hedges is good. I really like him. Um, the I did not like how the film looked. It's a very like muddy looking film to the point where it just started to distract me at the end. I was just like, you can have some colors. I would like mm-hmm. to see what is going on on the screen. That would be nice. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now we're on to a movie, the one movie that we both saw, Ooh. Uh, which is Lee Chang Dong's Burning, which was a must-see for me. It was the, on my list of uh, had to see it. Uh, I will allow four minutes since okay. you've both seen it. Um, uh, so real quick, Lee Chang Dong made, um, made a movie called Oasis. He made a movie called Poetry. I feel like there's Secret Sunshine, I think, was him. Um, this one um, is a two-and-a-half-hour thriller uh, about a young man who reconnects with a girl that he grew up with, um, and they're both kind of loners, and they sort of start a relationship, and then she goes on, a, I guess, a safari, a solo safari to Africa and comes back with a new male friend that she's met, played by The Walking Dead, Stephen Yun, um, and he's wealthy and charming and cultured and so our guy starts to feel a little jealous and then suddenly the girl uh disappears and our guy is uh our dude is pretty certain that steven yun maybe had something to do with it that's Uh, the premise right yes i would also add that it is based on a story by murakami Mm -hmm. so uh you know if you're familiar with his work then that's kind of the vibe that this has yeah um i absolutely love this movie you how did you feel about it I liked it a lot. Yeah. Like it was, I think it was my very first thing that I saw at the festival and it's, uh, you know, I, I, 
I think some people some people liked it at like a 10. I didn't I didn't quite like it to that level, but I, I really enjoyed it. And there are just there are specific scenes in it that are just kind of transcendent. Like, you know, the sunset one, you know, which one I'm thinking of when she's just kind of dancing. Oh, yeah, front, yeah, yeah. Like it was just I was like, I could watch just this scene for 90 minutes. It's so gorgeous and just so like, you know, evocative. Yeah. Um, but the movie's also very it's a, so it's a very kind of depressing thriller-ish. Although like, I say thriller because it definitely has those beats. It's but a, it's also, like I said, it's two and a half hours. It's languid. It's sad. It's uh, it's a... Like, I can see why you're calling it a thriller, but I feel like, uh, you know, it's... It, for most of the runtime, nothing really happens, happens. Like, it's not like someone, like, you know, running around trying to, like, like outrun the clock and, like, solve a mystery and save something. Like, it's more just, uh, a lot of it is just kind of people, like, hanging out, talking, a lot of, like, glances shared, a lot of conversations being said, yeah. had where people are not saying things that they're saying, things like that. Is it like The Vanishing, which I adore? I actually never saw The Vanishing. I oh haven't seen it either. Oh, let's go with yes. It. Why yeah. not? We haven't seen it. Let's, let's, sure. It's right. like The um, Vanishing. The Vanishing, I think, is that one of those movies that was remade in English by the same director? By the same director. Which we'll get to that a, in a little bit. With a terrible, terrible ending. Okay. Uh, well, we'll get, we'll get to that uh, subgenre of movies later on. Um, no, I see what you're saying. And that's what, like, it, it's, but it's, I mean, the second half of the movie definitely has all the thriller beats, I think, in the sense that he's like following around Stephen Young and like hiding and trying to like pick up, follow clues and look and, and, and try to find out what happened to this, uh, this young woman. Um, but yeah, it, it's not, uh, if you're, you know, if you're like Trevor and you're not thrilled by thrillers, don't worry. This isn't. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're thinking of a thriller like, like, oh, Taken's a thriller. It's it's not like that, you know. Right. And it's not no. a complaint. Like, no, I no. love even just the scenes of them kind of sitting around chatting, eating food, doing nothing. Like, And also, a lot of it is really funny yes. in a weird way. Because Stephen Young's character is such a douche <laughs> it's funny a lot of the time Stephen Yeun in this character is so good like just the way that he like there's just something about him where you see him and he's so good at kind of projecting the image that you, he needs to to make the character work where he, you're like he's very charismatic and very attractive but there's also something like slightly sinister about yeah. him or maybe it's not maybe it's that's, in my head like it's that's why I keep saying so this is uh, funny because he's essentially Rob Lowe's character from Wayne's World is <laughs> essentially the same like dynamic of the like richer, more cultured guy being the threat to uh, to the main guy's uh, love interest. A um, little bit, a little bit, yeah. Uh, anyway, not much more to say about it except that it's it's beautiful. The other thing I was going to say, the I, I can't remember her, I can't remember the actor's name, but the 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 young woman in it is also terrific and also very funny. Um, her whole the whole way we we meet her, where she's. Um, been hired to she's one of like these two girls who have been hired to stand outside of like a grocery store in skimpy clothing and talk about the sales uh, at the, <laughs> in the store it's a very funny scene right yeah, uh, yeah. that's funny she has a, like her little like pantomime thing is also oh like, yeah she's just very interesting yes 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 uh yeah that's uh, one of my favorite lines is uh uh, should I forget that there isn't a cat? Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that, that's a teaser for when people finally see it. They'll know what I'm referring to. All right. Um, uh, all right, Angie, you can relax for a few because I've got a couple. In a, I've got a bunch in a row here, actually. Um, next up is the, for me is the one midnight movie I went to, which is the new Gaspar Noé movie Climax, uh, which I was so dead tired for all of all of TIFF. 
um, that I was nervous about going to a midnight movie did not need to worry about climax. It's um, very arousing. It's also so so loud. It's based the the premise is that it's a dance troupe and they're rehearsing for a tour. They're gonna go. Uh, tour the states with their dance act or whatever and so it's the last night of rehearsal they decided to have a party um and uh they're having a party there's a lot of like sort of inter then this troop there's a lot of interpersonal relationships some people have crushes some people don't like each other yeah. uh and then s- someone spikes the sangria with an incredibly potent hallucinogen and everyone freaks the fuck out and so it's a party with loud dance music that pretty much doesn't stop the entire movie you're pretty much at a party with and that's why i I i'm so glad that i saw this in a big theater at a midnight movie because if i watch it at home i'm not gonna be able to watch i live in an apartment building i can't watch this movie nearly as loud as it deserves to be watched um because it's it really you really do get into the feeling of being at a party which of course makes the nightmarish stuff all the more nightmarish and if you're familiar with any of the work of gaspar noe you know that he's not um he doesn't do half measures when it comes to things that are uh, uh upsetting um and so the the movie definitely goes to some really really grisly uh places but is he his his use of the camera and the movement of the camera and the camera placement and the way that he's fascinated with uh with bodies and in 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 ways that are sometimes very beautiful and dancing and live and in some ways that are very purient uh and and sexual uh is it along along with the music it means that this 95 minute movie is never ever boring for even a half of a second uh i'm really excited about climax um i'm sure i'll get to something i didn't like at some point uh next up i'll talk briefly about colette even though i actually saw it before the festival right. and it's out in theaters now this is a new film from watch westmoreland is the first film he's made since the death of richard gladster with whom he had uh made movies together including their last movie which uh, still alice um colette is about the uh, the uh, parisian writer colette uh played by kira knightley it's not as good as still alice but it's quite good in fact i would say it's probably the best performance of kira knightley's career um and also probably the best performance of dominic west's career although uh, i'm sorry wire fans i've never been a huge dominic west guy but i think this is he's he's great here he plays her husband who her first four books were published under his name even though he she wrote them and they were huge huge successes um they were published under his name all the while she was having affairs mostly with women um and eventually they divorced and she sued and got the rights to her books and went on to have a writing career for the movie takes place in like the 19 aughts and 1910s, but she lived into the mid to late forties, I think, hmm. uh, and kept writing. Um, so it's a, yeah, really well-made movie, but mostly it's, uh, got two terrific performances at its center. That's Colette. Uh, next up is the first movie that I saw, man, getting to Toronto. I'm sorry. I know you've already started the, the counter, but, um, like, uh, it was such a mad dash, like getting to the airport, get, taking the train into town. Because uh, lifts in Canada, I know the Canadian dollar is not quite as strong, but Lyft is so fucking expensive in Canada. Did you use Lyft at all? I did, but since uh, I moved from New York not that long ago, it didn't register as being super expensive okay. to me. I know they're a lot cheaper in LA, but yeah. um, also it, it could also be because of the event. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. Probably there's true. that too. So. Um, I did so I took the train because I was like I looked up lifts and I was like no way so I took the train in and then had to drop my stuff at Jeremy's get back get the uh, get my press pass and then get my reserved tickets which is at two different places two different buildings completely which is 
you know, a little bit frustrating. Again, not to compare everything to Sundance, but at Sundance, they hand you your press pass and your ten your tickets that you've reserved are in the pass. It's all very easy. This was like running around, and so I'm like, and also it was super humid at the beginning of TIFF, mm-hmm. and so I'm running around. I finally like, and I'm also texting with this press person because I don't have a ticket for the movie that I'm seeing, but I'm supposed to meet the PR person outside the theater, and so I'm like down to the wire, like sweating. Uh, finally get in, uh, and I get my ticket for the first movie that I saw the first day I got there, Matteo Garone's Dog Man. Um, <laughs> uh, Matteo Garone, I think, uh, I've been a fan of his since, um, what was it called? The, is it called the, the Embalmer? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, but he really sort of um, made a splash with Gamora, the gangster movie that he made in like 2010 or so. Um, and then after that, he made a, a movie called Reality, which I think is his crowning achievement, which is a movie about a guy um, who's so desperate to get on Big Brother that he goes insane and it ruins his entire life. Um, it's weird. Usually that happens after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he made a movie called Tale of Tales. Uh, and now Dogman, which is very, very loosely based on a true story in the 1980s, which is one of the a very grisly true crime story in Italy in which a um, small town uh, dog groomer and cocaine addict um, captured and then tortured and killed uh, the local sort of uh, ruffian, the guy who... Mm. uh, um, the guy who uh, makes everyone's lives a hell in this small town because he like rides around and steals stuff and no one can do anything because he's a a big like coked up asshole. No. Um, and this is so it's very very loosely based on on this true story. Um, and the uh, I don't have time because we're running out of time here to look up the uh, the actor's name, but he actually won the best actor prize at oh, Cannes yeah. this year. Uh, and he was there introducing the movie and it's an incredible performance. He's this like skinny, wiry, nervous, smiling, high pitched voice, like reedy voiced guy who's so endearing, even as you see him like Mm -hmm. make bad decisions, but he also loves dogs, which is also, you know, obviously a very (laughs) endearing quality for someone to have. Can't be so Uh, bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you kind of like are on his side, like, yeah, this guy's a fucking monster. This, uh, but then of course things go, really really poorly um and that seems to be something that Matteo Garon excels at which is taking characters that you're really rooting for and then making you watch their lives fall apart Uh, now we can stop the timer if it's uh, stop doing that just in general oh I like like it okay no 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 it's it's helping okay good good good. Uh, and Angie can't wait to get to talk again that's oh uh, can't I Uh, (laughs) am I up next no I've got one more um uh, another movie I was very excited for, um, but this will be the first one that I, uh, from my first negative review of the podcast so far, the new Asgar for Hottie movie, which is called Everybody Knows. Oh, that's a bummer. Which is, yeah. uh, um, in uh, a movie made in Spanish. He's an Iranian director, but he made, uh, what the past took place in France. Is that right? Was that a French? I don't remember. Actually. I can't remember now, but, um, everybody knows is Spanish and stars real life couple, Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, which I, by the way, I'm so not tuned into celebrity gossip that I just, I just learned in reaching researching this movie that they're, they're a real life couple. Uh, <laughs> I just learned that right now. Yeah. Um, I've known that for years. I am into celebrity. gossip. Come on, <laughs> keep up. Uh, and it's also like the fourth movie they had made together. I don't know why I never, I never learned, uh, about this. Um, but, uh, they play sort of, uh, they were, uh, kid sweethearts. And then, um, she married someone else and moved away to, to Argentina she comes back to the small town where she grew up for uh, her 
a, the wedding of someone in her family. And so it's a big wedding. And then the night of the wedding in the middle of the reception, uh, her teenage daughter, uh, gets kidnapped. And so mm. the rest of the movie, um, and this is again, like a two and a half hour movie. Uh, the rest of the movie is about them trying to, uh, get the daughter back. Um, uh, and also, over the course of them trying to do this, all these decades of secrets among this big family keep coming to the surface. Uh, but really, it's a long... The movie, it seems like, like I said, two and a half hours, complex story. It's a long way to go for some pretty boilerplate soap opera type of hmm. bullshit. Hmm. It, I found it to be really thin That's and unsatisfying. Uh, and also, there are too many characters to the point where there's a reveal near the end that's, I think, supposed to be a big big deal but i was like wait who was this again <laughs> is it trying to be like a whodunit almost uh, yeah it, it does have that going okay. that's one of the elements that's going right. on yeah and so uh yeah there is a the, basically the moment you find out who's behind this kidnapping it took me a second to be like wait <laughs> like who is that anyway hmm. um so it left me a little cold okay all right now uh angie gets to talk for a couple movies starting with the new michael moore documentary yes i saw fahrenheit 11.9 i was not looking forward to that one but actually i ended up liking it more than i thought i would uh it's a little bit kind of scattered a little bit all over the place it covers a lot of things that you know uh i feel like i feel like you hear like the date 11.9 and you think it's just going to be about like election day or whatever but it's it's kind of it's about that it's about the things that have happened since then it's about the things that led up to that like and and uh you know kind of some thoughts on where we could or should go from here um it's very scattered like it kind of just like he's he's trying to cover a lot of different things so he jumps around a lot but uh you know overall like it 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 all kind of worked better together than i thought it opens um on the day of the election i think or maybe the day before the election either way though it kind of opens with like this like footage of like when everyone thought that hillary was gonna win and everyone was like very excited about it and like watching it in 2018 it is it is surreal like it's it almost feels like you stepped into this parallel reality um which is so which is so crazy because it's it's literally something i lived there two years ago Um, isn't that the the same way that fahrenheit 9 11 starts right with Mm -hmm. like al gore Everyone thinking Al Gore is winning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, so it starts out with that, like that. Um, and then he, he, some of the things he talks about, I saw it a few weeks ago now, so I hope I can remember. Um, but you know, he talks about like the Flint water crisis. He talks about, um, uh, some of the candidates, some of the kind of up and coming candidates, like, um, I'll, I'm going to put your name, Alexandria, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I think you did better than I would have. Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, like her and kind of um, other people and other people like that that are coming up. He talks about, um, what else does he talk about? He talks about, he talks about his own involvement with uh, Trump and things like that. He talks about like, he talks about like all the parallels to Nazi Germany. Like, it's, so like I said, you know, if it sounds like I'm just kind of listing like a bunch of yeah. things that happened, that, that is kind of what it feels like. He talks about like Parkland and stuff like that. And w- one of the things that struck me though, Though, is that like as, as scattershot as it is and as much of an emotional roller coaster as it is like that almost kind of made it like you know I was just like yeah this is what it's been like since 
2016 to just like be an American where you're like you're you know you're you're going from like being feeling such despair to feeling like so inspired to feeling like you know like righteous rage to feeling like really helpless like you're you know every, it seems like every day there's a new headline that's just like pay attention to this pay attention to that so in that sense uh, you know I was just like oh yeah pretty good pretty good job of what it's been like and then he does kind of try to leave you with this sense of urgency of like something needs to happen um, he doesn't go so far as to be like this here's a specific list of things that I want you to do but he does um, but one of the things that he really emphasizes is how like like quote unquote common normal people not like people who are already in power but you know has been able to make a difference like the Parkland teens the teacher strike mm-hmm. stuff like that so it's yeah that's one. That's one of the things that has. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Of, I talked for so long. Oh, that's all right. You you hadn't talked for a while. I thought so. I thought it was okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, that's one of the things that has always one of the many things that has always bothered me about Michael Moore is that, and I understand why you would do this. That like he he'd put stuff out there like he's he was always very good at like underlining a problem now sometimes he would find a problem where there actually wasn't one or he would manufacture one whatever it is but he was very good at that and then when it came time for solutions he would just say like well i'm just trying to get people to ask the right questions like that is important but like you took the time to make a movie and people are already well aware of the problem. I think that's kind of why I liked, uh, was surprised how much I liked his last movie, where to invade next, because it was Mm. basically a list of possible solutions where he went to other countries and said like, okay, here's where their like, uh, workforce is more productive and happier. Here's a country where their education system is better. And like, let's see what they're doing that we're not doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I I liked, I, I was really surprised by where to invade next. Okay. All right. So. Oh, am I up again? First man. First man. Okay, so that is the uh, the story of the Apollo 11 moon landing. First man to walk the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. They're all there. Yay. Uh, Ryan Gosling plays. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he plays all of them, including the moon. No. <laughs> and then the um, rocket hits his eye. And, yeah. oh, it's <laughs> so this is the new movie by Damon Chazelle, the jazz dude. There's not that much jazz in here, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, uh, I think... Well, I think I went in expecting something a little bit different than it was and was ultimately at first I was a little bit like, ooh, I'm not sure about this, but then ultimately I really liked it and it kind of um, so it, it's like roughly speaking, it's it just kind of, kind of follows Neil Armstrong in the years leading up to the moon landing and kind of follows him as he gets there and then like, you know, there then he gets to the moon and all that stuff and yes, you do see the American flag on the moon there's, yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation though mm. um, but uh, what struck me is that like in the beginning it's almost it's 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 a little tedious it's almost boring like it's it's very like focused on kind of tiny details of like his work his mission like even when he's flying around it's just focused on like these like little tiny things um and at first i kind of i was just kind of like well i mean i i feel like i'm not like connecting with this emotionally it just feels like so small or whatever but then eventually i kind of came to appreciate it because it's so much a movie about the work that went into it it's a movie Mm -hmm. that's not um you know, it like I feel like it, it's it's this big event, and I like that this movie kind of focuses on all the tiny things that went into it, all the work that went into it, but also like all the luck, all the happenstance, all like all the ways that this couldn't could have not happened, or happened differently, or happened terribly, or something like that. So uh, that was all very good. And then when you get to, are you, am I allowed to curse on, the, on oh, this yeah. When you get to the fucking moon, oh my god, you guys! <laughs> uh, so I saw it in IMAX, and I think that's like this, like most of the scene, most of the movie is not like you know, it's it's not really taking advantage. Of the IMAX thing, like I said, it's very small. But when you get to the moon, is when it gets to IMAX, and 
guys, guys, I was like, I was, I just like, it was like one of those things where I just started like bawling. I was oh, like, wow. I was like weeping through see. it. It was, and then like, as soon as I got out, I texted my husband. I was like, we're going to go see this in IMAX when it opens. Like, uh, so yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because I'm a uh, un- unapologetic La La Land lover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been looking forward to, to, to this, uh, and uh, yeah, I also expect to cry my eyes out when I when I see it. Yeah, uh, as as listeners know, I was actually uh, a little trepidatious about it because it just seemed like such a conventional choice. Like he made he made Whiplash and then he made La La Land, just two very just films that really kind of stood out in their own way. And then you're like, okay, now it's time to make a nice, straightforward film about either some kind of war or <laughs> the you know something big but uh restrained by its very nature um and so but when you talk about his his uh focus on minutia and the details like okay that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I would expect the director of Whiplash to do because that's a film that was very focused on like individual details within like that music room and when it came to like the drum kit and that sort of thing so that's very interesting to me and I'm a big fan of the right stuff and it definitely sounds like it uh uh kind of takes some of its cues from that as far as the procedure required to do this so I'm 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 much more excited about it now honestly yeah, I mean, it's not like mind-blowingly, like, oh my god, I've never seen anything. But, you know, it's very, it has such a strong perspective, and I really yeah. like that about it. All right, uh, speaking of movies, a movie I was excited about, um, and then I saw it, and it was over, and I was like, oh, what did I expect? Um, well, we talked earlier, we mentioned The Vanishing, we talked about um, non-English language directors remaking their own movies in English. I saw Gloria Bell, which is Sebastian Lilio's remake of Gloria. Okay. Gloria is such a great movie um, from 2013 or 14. I can't remember. Uh, this guy makes movies like crazy. He made, what are you looking at? <laughs> the list. Oh yeah. Um, so he made, um, he's had three movies come out in America or when this one comes out, it'll be three movies in like less than a year. Oh, he made wow. a fantastic woman, which I think won the Oscar. Yes, right? it did. Uh, and then he had his first English language movie disobedience come out earlier this year, I oh, think. Yeah. Uh, and now he's got Gloria Bell coming out. Um, but basically, so he remade Gloria with Julianne Moore as uh, as Gloria, and you've got John Turturro, and you've got Brad Garrett, and you've got Michael Sarah and uh, uh, Gene Triplehorn. It's got a really great cast, but it really is kind of just a. Uh, it just hits. It's the same movie, <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, it's really good. But I saw it five years ago. Yeah, you know, I don't know, like, uh, I like I said, I don't know what I expect. So okay. it's good, good performances. Uh, all right, Angie, you're up next. Uh, Halloween. Yes. Uh, I loved it. Okay, so this was a this was the one midnight screening I went to. Technically, it was an eleven thirty screening, but whatever. Let's call Boo. it midnight. Okay. <laughs> Climax started at midnight. Fuck, fuck off. Sorry. Fuck off. There were two different screenings, <laughs> and there was so one out. at eleven thirty, and there was one at midnight, and I went to the eleven thirty. Um, and uh, it was. So you're like my grandma going to midnight mass at six p.m. on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. 
don't see it at 6 p.m. If it they had a screening at 6 p.m., I would have seen it at 6 p.m. But no, it was uh, so. I so this is the one like late night screening I went to. Um, I it was literally my fifth movie of the day, and I was oh. like, if this movie can just keep me awake, I'll be happy. I came out of there like so, just like hyper because you know, like when yeah. you see a movie that that re- that you really enjoy with a great crowd, and and then you come out with all this energy. So at like what was it like 2 a.m. I was like zipping around Toronto like oh my god guys oh my god I was like you know <laughs> so it's uh you know this is a sequel to the first Halloween and not to any of the other Halloweens they're just kind of oh. retconning all the other ones like out of existence not even the second one uh no as far as so I have to confess I've only seen the first one but as far as I know and having talked to other people who have seen all the other ones it's only a sequel to the first one so okay. this one picks up uh, 40 years later, um, with Michael Myers escaping from, you know, being imprisoned and coming after Laurie Strode, who is once again played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And this time, having been through all this shit 40 years ago, she is kind of waiting for it. She's ready for it. Uh, and so that's the confrontation that takes place. Um, and Judy Greer plays her daughter. I forget the name of the actress that plays um, Judy Greer's daughter, but that's, you know, at this point, there's all, there's other people involved. And and it's uh, like if, I, I, if you've seen the first Halloween, this is this is such a satisfying movie. There's a lot of kind of like, you know, callbacks to it. Um, some of them are some, you know, some of them are just kind of like straightforward, like, oh, hey, you remember this thing. Some of them are like kind of clever little subversions of it and things like that. But it's really it's really satisfying. And they do it in a way, at least from in my experience where, you know, from my perspective, that uh, did not feel too kind of cute or cloying or clever to me. Uh, I think because a lot of the other stuff about it works, like it's very, um, you know, like there's there's some really great kills in there. There's uh, a, <laughs> it's also like pretty funny, which okay. not like it's not like you know it's not like a cabin in the woods thing where you're like, is it horror? Is it comedy? It's definitely horror, but they make room for lots of just like funny little details or funny it little jokes. Like people, me with like David characters having, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it was directed by David Gordon Green and it was written by him and Danny McBride and uh, Jeff. Fradley, I think it was. Okay. So uh, I think that I hope I got that name right. I might have been a completely different person. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so it's got a. It's We're got going a too fast for me to stop and look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw the trailer recently, and the trailer looked genuinely frightening. So um, is it like you talked about how much fun it is? Um, it, was it also? Uh, uh, scary uh in the moment or afterwards halloween is a movie that has always stuck with me afterwards so like the idea of i said it before uh, there are times where i will glance out my window and think like if i saw michael myers just standing there staring into my window what would i do it's like well die obviously um <laughs> but uh but yeah like it did the did the film stick with you at all uh, like uh, in a fearful way it, it didn't it's not the kind of movie where i was like still scared hours later or anything like that but the first one wasn't for me either okay. um you know and i like both the first one and this one a lot it okay. is the kind of film that like while i was watching it like you know i saw it with a really good excited crowd but i was yeah. also one of the people in the audience being like oh like you know and like <laughs> everyone would like yell and cheer and gasp and like it's like okay. while you're watching it's very exciting oh boy or at least okay. it was for me that's fun I hate you give. Over. Oh, okay. Sorry, I need to put this so you can see it. No, that's okay. The hate you give. So this one is... I like hoarding the power of you not knowing what movie is next, apparently. <laughs> you get off on being withholding, just like... <laughs> Boy, you have no idea. <laughs> um, okay, so The Hate You Give is uh, based on the best-selling YA novel by Angie Thomas, and it stars Amanda Stenberg from 
who is Rue in The Hunger Games, as hmm. a teenager who lives in a kind of predominantly black, uh, poor neighborhood, but goes to school in this wealthier white neighborhood. And, you know, it's like that's that's kind of her life. And she's so she has a life that's kind of bifurcated and it's it's all kind of fine. You know, she plays kind of one role it's it's she's code switching a lot she plays one role in one of those environments and another in the other and then and then one of her childhood friends uh gets shot and killed by a police officer right in front of her and then you know her life kind of spirals from there and she starts to get more involved in like activism and starts to think about that stuff more and things like that um so I thought I thought this was I thought this was really good the book is very very popular unfortunately I haven't read it so I can't you know, I, I can't say how it compares to that, but uh, Amanda Stenberg is fantastic. Like she's the kind of actress that, like, you you like she's she's so charismatic that you're just immediately invested, and she's also she's also got these big ex- expressive eyes where you kind of can always see what she's thinking. More on her later. Yeah, because <laughs> I saw another movie there. Right, um, and then her parents are played by I want to look this up, uh, but her parents are you know so her parents are a big part of it. Uh, they are played by. Regina Hall and Russell Hornsby Hmm. and they are also really fantastic like especially him like you kind of you they're they're just they have such an interesting loving relationship they have such an uh, you know kind of nuanced and beautiful relationship with their kids and it's it's all it's all really interesting I mean I feel like this movie kind of has been you know like it's it you you sorry i feel like it kind of sounds like it's like oh it's an issues movie or whatever but i think one of its strengths is that it's very focused on the experiences of this teenage girl and all the kind of complicated and messy stuff that comes along with it so it really worked for me i like this one a lot all right right. uh that's good to hear actually because i uh was interested in it but then when i saw the name george tillman jr uh I, i sort of uh yeah, lost my excitement a little bit because I haven't been a fan of his work, um, despite him despite us sharing an alma mater. Uh, he went yeah, to film okay, school. He right, went to. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Moving on to my favorite film of the festival. Oh my god! Although it's my least favorite film to name out loud, it's Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell. Oh, that's it's right. It's called <laughs> Her Smell. That's right. Um, which was very funny. I felt bad for the festival volunteers guiding the line into the Winter Garden Theater. Her Smell. Her Smell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Very uncomfortable. But man, this movie is so fucking good. And also, there are. I can already tell you, there are a number of people who are going to hate it because uh, it is. It, it's so earnest in so in so many ways and so emotional and i think people are going to find it campy or over the top hmm. but uh it's uh, elizabeth it takes place in the mid to late 90s it takes place over the course of a number of years uh and elizabeth moss plays uh i guess you would best describe her as a courtney love type a hmm. an out of control rock star and the movie is told in five acts. Each one of each one of them is about the movie is like two hours and fifty minutes long. So each one is about twenty five to thirty minutes long, and each act is in real time. Uh, so sometimes it'll be weeks or even years in between acts, but uh, each each section takes place in in real time. Uh, and each one of them, except for one, uh, features a live performance. Elizabeth Moss actually singing mm. a song. How convincing uh, is she as a rock star? Um, I would say she's very convincing as the very specific '90s, sure, <laughs> like post, like post Riot Girl type of rock star. Yeah, she does a great job of that, uh, and the cast is stacked. Otherwise, too, you've got Dan Stevens as her ex husband. You've got Eric Stoltz as her uh, as the the label head. Um, you've got a younger band featuring. Uh, 
um, two great young actresses, Cara Delevingne and uh, Dylan Jalula. Apparently, it's a soft G. I've been saying Galula, hmm. but that's Jane Krakowski's daughter from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, who was also in Support the Girls recently, which is a fucking great movie. Um, and uh, I've already gone over my two minutes, so I don't know what else to say. It's your favorite of the Except, festival, yeah, so I'm it's, fine. Uh, if you can hang... If you if you can set aside your postmodern irony that can't handle how straightforward and in your face and potentially embarrassing, I think knowingly embarrassing the first couple acts are because it it doesn't this isn't a rise and fall type of story. It starts at the beginning of the fall mm-hmm. and then kind of has it's sort of a fall and rise type story. Not to give too much away. Um, and so she's really at her most over the top in the first couple acts. And I think that's going to turn some people off because some of it is just ridiculous. And she is going as with Moss is just going no holds barred. Um, but all of that is necessary and worth it for when you get to the incredibly poignant and bittersweet last couple of acts. Uh, this was, uh, I'm almost getting emotional talking about it now. This was definitely the movie I cried at the most. Hmm. Um, at, at, at TIFF, which was, I'm an Alex Ross Perry fan, but it was a surprise to me that I cried in an Alex Ross Perry movie. That's not usually his million. I don't think anybody cries at listen up Philip or right now or golden exits, you know, or queen of earth. Um, like, do you think I, maybe, I was really surprised? Do you think maybe his work on Christopher Robin got him? Uh, <laughs> maybe thinking yeah. in those terms, yeah, co-writing the screenplay for Christopher Robin, weirdest credit of 2018 <laughs> so far, I think. Um, Anyway, that's that's her smell. I'm sorry for the name, uh, but it's so fucking good. All right, um, you're up next with uh, the new Barry Jenkins uh, feature. Yes, uh, if Beale Street could talk, it is based on a book by James Baldwin, which I did not read either. Apparently, I'm bad at having read the source material for the movies I've been watching. Uh, it, it is about um, it's about a young couple. Um, you know, they, they've known each other for a long time. They're very much in love. She, uh, but he gets sent to prison uh, for a crime he did not commit, and she discovers that she's pregnant. So it kind of just goes from there and, uh, you know, shows, shows you a little bit about, like, their past, shows you a little bit of them t- kind of trying to figure out a way out of this predicament, like how to get him out of jail and all that stuff. So it's, uh, so that's, that's the story. It is, I, I love this one. It's so good. Barry Jenkins. I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a couple things. It's not very much like Moonlight, so if, you know, um, but there's a couple of things that kind of struck me as like, oh, wow, he's really good at a couple things. One of them is color. The colors in this film are so incredible, just looking at them. And uh, I, there's a lot of yellow in it, and I, I'm waiting for someone to write, like, the definitive essay on, like, the, the yeah. meaning of the colored yellow in this movie. I, like, it's, it's just, it's beautiful to look at. And the other thing that he is so good at is um, showing you people looking at each other like so you know as in moonlight so much of this movie is kind of carried on like the gazes that people share with one another a lot of the shots are of just like someone looking into someone else's eyes or just someone looking at something and it's just uh i feel like i'm not doing a great job of selling how interesting and exciting and like you know fascinating and enjoys and heartbreaking those scenes can be but like that's that's kind of the magic of it like he just lets you know he lets you look at this person and kind of feel like you're with them by showing you everything that they're experiencing through their eyes um, it's interesting you mentioned color because his first 
feature was in black and white. It Medicine sure was. Yeah, I know. Uh, starring in front of the show, White's Neck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's a really good movie too. Now uh, I'm surprised. I didn't realize are you al- you're allowed to like both First Man and If Bill Street Could Talk. Is that is because, that? Well, no, because two years ago you weren't allowed to like La La Land David, and Moonlight. Do not put this out in the world. We are not doing this again. <laughs> well, I, I, nope, I just got nope, sick of nope. as a La La Land fan. Uh, apparently I had to give up any uh, affection that I had for Moonlight because it was uh, it was uh, one against the other. Everyone please unhear everything he said. He's putting out evil in the world and we do not need any of that right now. I, I loved both of those movies. Uh, I was I was not, I didn't mean to further that uh, misconception, but to uh, skewer it. That's what I was trying to do. What's that? What's that? I mean, I knew that like for best even picture, before, it was no, going to be before between, the Oscar okay. thing. It seemed like because La La Land was the favorite. Right. And because I guess the film tour cognoscenti collectively decided that La La Land sucked all of a sudden because Moonlight deserved, deserved to win. It, it, it felt like there were these lines drawn where people would be like, yeah, I didn't see people who had two months before written glowing reviews of La La Land, like saying stuff like, you know, you know, in La La Land's defense, like what do you defend it? Like, yeah, we can like, we're allowed to like both fucking movies, you guys. And I did like both movies. I happen to like La La Land more. I mean, I think, I think it just became an echo chamber where everyone just started talking like louder and louder and getting very like preemptively defensive about their movies and whatnot. Let us hope that does not happen again this year. I do not want to relive the land wars. And I wait for everyone who wrote glowing reviews of a star is born out of tiff to turn on it. Uh, we're going to talk about come, star is born later. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. Well, I haven't it seen is, it, so. it is possible, uh, uh, in retrospect that given the Oscar so white thing of 20, not, I, I know it's not only about, it wasn't only about the Oscars, but like, uh, with La La Land and Moonlight, but of 2014, 2015, and then Moonlight comes along and it's made by a African American filmmaker. It's about, this uh, this type of thing and there could be people who said like well La La Land is the whitest thing in the world and it's about a white guy who is lecturing a black guy about jazz yeah it's so like it can't, could I be, can't don't worry, I don't like I can't him, I'm fine with the movie being whatever it wants to be uh, but it's I could see people investing more than just an artistic opinion into that little rivalry where it's like, you've got this, this lower budget movie made by a black filmmaker at a very specific time in the country okay. and in Hollywood, as opposed to this much so higher profile. I think it's, I think it could be that. All right. I mean, I think that may have been part of it. Um, personally, I thought that the La La Land, because like Moonlight was not as polarizing. It seemed like most people liked it. It wasn't everyone's favorite movie year. Some people did like La La Land or something else better, but um, it didn't seem to be polarizing. Whereas I think La La Land was a little bit more polarizing. Like I remember yeah. feeling at the time, like whether you love it or hate it or like, you know, feel mixed about it, every, every kind of conversation seemed to have to start from this point of like, you know, defensiveness of like, I don't know. At least that's how it felt no, to me at the time point. with La La like with La La Land, I think I think Moonlight was certainly part of it, and like you know, I'm sure the issues like it, it, this didn't exist in a vacuum. There's a lot of things that went into it, but I, I think La La Land itself was just kind of divisive. That's a good uh, yeah. point. I yeah, because now that you mention it, yeah, I haven't heard anyone say they didn't like Moonlight. I've heard some people, uh, like I think it was our friend Chuck Wilson mm-hmm. who kind of agreed with me. Who was like, yeah, it's good, you guys. It's not. The greatest movie ever made. As Why are we all flipping out? It's a good movie. But neither, neither of them no in my top ten it. that year. But in retrospect, 
if I were to go back and make it now, I think Moonlight would probably crack my top ten. Okay. Uh, La La Land would not. Like Moonlight has stayed with me a lot longer than I thought it would. Huh. Uh, partially because of the use, the beautiful cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Like it, you, you mentioned Barry Jenkins' use of of color and just like that movie. Like the thing that I said is, given the type of movie that Moonlight is, which is just a film of it's a character driven drama. Those movies don't usually have astonishing cinematography. And so what I have said is that like that movie looks better than it has any right to, or that anybody had any expectation for it to. And, uh, and as strange as it sounds, cause I know that La La Land won cinematography and I understandably so, but I think I probably would have preferred that Moonlight got, uh, would uh, get cinematography, but Oh, well, we I didn't move on. they're all good movies. Yeah. Uh, although La La Land was at the time my, at the end of the year, it was my favorite yeah. movie. Yeah, well, I've Moonlight since... was my favorite movie, so yeah. now we're going to hash this out okay. all over again. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, Mine was a monster call, so fuck both of you. I've got, <laughs> I've got a couple in a row here. I'm not, I can't spend too long on the first one, or I can spend three hours on the on the first one here, because it's the new Jean-Luc Godard movie, The Image Book. Oh, boy. And I don't know what to, like, I don't know what to say about it, <laughs> because it's, I mean, it's a Jean-Luc Godard, it's a 21st century Jean-Luc Godard movie. It's not, there's not a... Uh, story there's not actors in it it's a it's a it's a it's a collage a montage mm-hmm. like a lot of his work uh has been although goodbye to language had actors um and goodbye to language uh left me a little bit cold i have to say and so i was very i'm very happy to say that the image book uh really really bowled me over um <clears throat> he he's just he's very much in command of what he's doing, even though it, in a superficial sense, it seems like very slept together. <coughs> You've got things where he's got the aspect ratio changing in the middle, in the middle of a shot, not just in the middle of a scene, just all of a sudden, uh, the same shot is, is, is bigger. You've got a lot of distortion, both visual and auditory. Um, and it's, like I said, you approach it on the, on the surface, it seems like a mess, but he's doing something and you can't even quite in kind of like a, uh, even though they're very different filmmakers, it's kind of in the same way as like a David Lynch. You you don't you don't necessarily know what he's driving at, but you can tell that there's a steady hand at work here. And a lot of what really came forward to me this time is his use of of sound, which is the movie's often very loud, has lots of uh, loud music and loud explosions, but also he knows how to use his own voice. He narrates, um, and he's doing this sort of. Uh, I'm sure he would hate. Uh, I'm sure John Lee would hate the comparison, but he's doing this sort of NPR, very close to the microphone type mm. of thing with his like old man sort of like no. gravelly French voice, um, which is only sporadically subtitled, which is something he has done in recent years. He he decides which parts he wants English speakers to understand, and then sometimes it'll just be oh, there's a few sentences in there that there were no subtitles for. Oh well, um, and I and I kind of enjoy that too. Uh, but he is, I, I think when I talk about being loud and having explosions, uh, I, I think he is trying to get at something. If I can put a, if I can put it into a box and say what this movie is about, <clears throat> he's saying something about forceful actions, be they war or be they just loud protest or the idea of people acting as a group mm-hmm. for some sort of change and treating that completely objectively. And so in a way that is, I would say he's, he's very much a provocateur and in a way that is very provocative, he sort of is equating like, uh, you know, say occupy wall street with 
the 9-11 bombings. He's saying like people working together for force to to uh, affect change uh, all kind of comes comes from the same impulse. And he's sort of flattening out the horizon and just looking at them all on one yeah. scale. It's a. Uh, potentially very upsetting to people uh but i think it's a beautifully made movie i did too long on that all right um and then next up uh one of my most anticipated uh uh, movies of the festival because i love submarine movies uh thomas vinterberg's kursk which is based on the true story um took place in 2000 of a uh during a uh routine um naval exercise there was an accident on board uh, a russian sub it sank to the bottom of the barrett's sea and um uh the few surviving uh, seamen, I guess, were trapped down there for hours. I won't say what happened to them. Um, but uh, you've got a great cast. You've got Matthias Schaenertz in the lead. You've also got August Deal as one of the other uh, sailors. And then up on the surface, you've got uh, Leia Sidhu plays Matthias Schaenertz's wife. Uh, Colin Firth plays the head of the British uh, Naval Command who uh, offer assistance. And then Max von Sydow plays his Russian counterpart. The movie's all in English, but... Um, Great cast, very tense. I would say very well done. If you like submarine movies, it hits most of the things. I'll use my remaining thing to talk about a weird thing <laughs> at TIFF that I... You nor- can also cede your time anytime no, you want. No, because I wanted to bring this up because I normally don't... I'm on the record as saying that a lot of cinephiles get too bent out of shape about multiplexes not masking for different uh, aspect ratios. Oh, uh, yes. And the Scotiabank Theater, where most of the... Uh, all of the press and industry screenings are in some of the... Um, uh, public screenings doesn't mask at all. I don't know if you noticed this. They just have a big, enormous sort of ice cream, IMAX shaped screen. And then the image is just in the middle of that and there's no masking. Um, but the, the only time that really stuck out is at the beginning. So the prologue and the epilogue of Kursk are in one eight five. The rest mm-hmm. of the movie is in two is in scope. And so basically what you've got is you've got a one eight roughly one eight five sized screen but because it needs to be there for the scope for the beginning and the end you've got a mini one eight five image inside of a larger field of one eight five black it was uh it was really disconcerting at first until (laughs) until the uh they once the once the submarine goes into the water then it goes into scope uh but yeah it was the first time that i was like all right maybe those movie dorks uh are onto something uh all right uh Angie, you're up next with a movie I can't wait to hear you talk about. Oh, my God. Everyone's oh favorite God. movie of the festival. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to talk about Life Itself, the new movie written and directed by Dan <sighs> Fogelman of... Yep, yep. Okay, he wrote uh, He wrote Crazy Stupid Love. He is the creator of This Is Us, a very popular television show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my fucking God. This, this <laughs> fucking movie. Uh, so Finally, someone allowed to have an opinion about it. Uh, How exciting <laughs> as a non-white male who obviously what the fuck do we know about anything right no, I, you're, that, you're clearly reading different things than i am no, no no so what what happened was like everyone hated this like it got terrible reviews and then today when the reviews dropped the director was just like oh well it's because white white men you know they're bad at emotions we should have more women and people of color reviewing this movie which honestly <laughs> fucking offended me because fuck you as a woman of color this is not my job to like your shitty movie like you oh, made i'm a, sure when you read it you fainted right dead away uh, <laughs> i was like you made a bad movie that is that is on you do not do not use me as a shield for your shitty movie that's the thing and and i forget who it was somebody recently had said something uh along these lines uh bashing uh, like white critics and saying like oh well it's for these other critics and then i think it was i think it was uh Alyssa wilkinson who said 
Um, you realize that as you paint these guys in a broad, with a broad brush, you are also now painting me in a broad br- with a broad brush. Like, oh, well, this is how I react all the time, right? Because I'm a woman and that sort of thing. Right. And it's just, it's, yeah. Uh, if we did not have a guest and we were going to do, uh, you know, a top of the show topic, this is what it was going to be. Because well, I, think I completely it's, missed this. It's, uh, it, it was time on Twitter these days. Uh, Good. That's healthy. <laughs> I don't remember how I caught this because I didn't spend much time either. But, uh, but yeah, it's something that bothers me. Not not for like political reasons where it's just like you can't talk about white guys. It's just like stop limiting people. Stop yeah, saying I mean, that that if you fall into a certain group, whatever that group might be, you will you don't get it. It's like you, yeah. you struck out on this one. I'm sorry. I mean, like, so I, you know, like I absolutely believe that, you know, film criticism should be diverse. There should I, I very firmly believe that something is lost when almost all the critics are like straight white men, you know, from a certain class or something, because you're only getting one kind of perspective. And I get that. And I'm very much into like, yes, we should have more more women, more people of color, like all sorts of different kind of people reviewing movies. But what I hate is when, as you said, it becomes an excuse for someone to be like, oh, well, you know, uh, people didn't like my movie because the wrong kind of people saw it. But let me tell you, if these other people saw this movie, movie they would like it like that that is the part that pisses me off like yes i have a different perspective than you do and you have a different perspective than david does or whatever and that's that's all good and healthy but it shouldn't be like you know uh, oh like you two didn't like this movie but yeah it, sure angela like it she's a chick it's a, it's a movie for yeah. chicks you know like <laughs> yeah. that's the part of it that i really resent anyway so we're not talking about this movie at all oh, we're just sorry. talking about the conversation around it. no this is good this it, is it got me thinking me today. like okay so I'm going to tell a, a personal story. Uh, so I've applied for the Online Film Critics Society a couple times. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been rejected both times. And I remember someone said, well, do you think maybe by, pl- by submitting reviews from more than one lesson along with Battleship Pretension, more than one lesson being my Christian thing, my Christian podcast and website, do you think that that might influence them do you think maybe they uh they don't want that in part in the online film critic society and i thought like huh uh maybe but i thought like but probably not they probably don't think i'm a good writer or i don't write enough <laughs> like i certainly don't write as much as david does and i and i think i'm a i'd say i'm a b to b plus level writer um and so i occasionally dip into a minus but uh you know that's I don't actually, I don't actually know why they, why they turned me down and somebody provided me with the opportunity to say, you know what? It's just this. They see me this way. And so, you know what? Fuck them. Or I'm just not their cup of tea. It's, it's the way it goes. Like it's, I, again, it's, it's rather than, rather than give somebody the benefit of the doubt and say, well, I guess what I am, what I'm offering, they are just not having rather than do that. Just and I'm about as thin skinned as you get, but like to just dismiss an entire group hiding behind a certain type of identity politics that feels somewhat safe right now. And again, failing to realize that in doing so you are now looking at, there's like some, some, uh, uh, collateral damage in, in the things that you're saying. I don't know. It just, it bothers me tremendously. And not just because I happen to be like a, a white critic that he's talking about, but just, Again, like whether it be Jerry Seinfeld talking about like a younger generation of comedians or this guy trying to defend his com his film with this, just like no, like stop, 
Stop looking for reasons to dismiss entire groups of people because it doesn't happen to fit into what you would like. And yeah, it sucks to get bad reviews, I'm sure. Something that's very important to you. But incidentally, maybe this is what you get for ripping off the title uh, of a documentary made about a white critic. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's not the big biggest problem with the movie, the yeah, title, right. I mean. Yeah. But the other thing is, uh, the other thing that was so comical about this, and I think uh, I think the per- first person I saw pointing this out was uh, maybe Alison Wilmore, but it, the other thing is it's such a white guy movie like it's a it's a movie that is a very kind of um for, for it's it's a very male movie like it's it's a very like all the men get like the you know are the ones that are kind of driving the action and like the women are just kind of there to be like adored and like you know oh my god there's there's a scene <laughs> where uh so oscar isaac is one of the you know Okay, I guess I should describe the structure. It's I think it's in like five parts or something, and each one is kind of ha- is discrete and has like a different lead character. And some of them you can see immediately how they're related, and some of them you don't find out till later. And then at the end you find out how all these people are connected. It's the, Dan Fogelman has a has an obsession with like secret plot twists about how people are actually connected to each other. He does this in This Is Us. He does this in Crazy Stupid Love. He does this here. It's uh, okay. I, I could talk about this movie for so long because it is it is. It is insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, like what, some of the things that come through it, through in this movie are like his obsession, his obsession with weird reveals about how characters are connected that are really just like he's like crazy plot twist. Right. You're like, I'm like, I mean, no, you just withheld information and then gave it to me later. But sure. Um, you know, he he if you remember kind of the our national obsession over how Milo and Amelia dies in This Is Us there's also a lot of this that in life itself really? a lot of like a, like, a, like a weird sort of morbidity to it <laughs> um, where he thinks it's like where he's like you know but that's just how life is there's good and there's bad and like blah 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 and you're like okay but the way you did it was really weird like the first act is a strange Tarantino riff that he's doing it's one of those like meta screenplays it's like too cute by half there's a lot of like curse and a weird amount of violence for the kind of story that it is. And Samuel L. Jackson is doing, like, voiceover narration for it's... It's bizarre. Um, Yeah, and then it just... I, it, it, it's kind of like you said where I was just like I could talk about this movie for like three hours but yeah. th- th- that's it, it's kind of like this year you know every year there seems to be that one movie that is so bad in such an insane way that everyone seems to love talking about it like Book of Henry or Collateral Beauty this that mm-hmm. that is that like life itself is this year's um, just just to give you a little bit of, of a taste of where the title comes from is Olivia Wilde's character is writing a thesis she's like a lit major or something and she's just like she like bursts in the room and she's like explaining her thesis to Oscar Isaac. She's like, life itself is the ultimate unreliable narrator. So, (laughs) oh my God, that's the kind of thing we are dealing with here. People You didn't even write or have to say that line. And I was embarrassed for you just now (laughs) to repeat it. I felt so bad for you. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. There's a lot of like weirdly kind of like, you know, like, I remember, like, so Crazy Stupid Love is a movie that, like, I enjoy but find deeply problematic for kind of its sexual politics, and there, he really just doubles down on that here. Like, there's a lot of just... I, I, I want you guys to see it so we can all talk about it because okay. it's insane to talk about but I also don't want you to see it because it's a very bad movie well, yeah, I don't want to suggest people to I enjoy yeah. I, I t- the movies you're talking about I tend to skip I haven't seen Collateral Beauty I haven't seen Book of Henry I, life's too short that's <laughs> this is how I feel life itself <laughs> life itself is ultimately too short a lot of what you're saying is what made me hate the movie Demolition when that came out mm. um, it, just because it's 
earnest, but boy, it thinks it's smart and profound and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, there's, there's as much as fun as like genre movies can be that are, that are awful. Like when, when a drama or is particularly terrible for thinking that it's very important, that's, that's something very special indeed. So I think, uh, I think I'm going to have to suffer through this one. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, to be fair, as I was walking out the theater, a woman behind me, her mind was blown by something. She was like, she was like talking to the person. She was, she was like, oh my God. And it's like, you know, we're all connected. And it's just, did you even think about that? And I was just like, I mean, I'm glad somebody found this to be e- extremely profound and yeah. enjoyable. Anyway, sorry. We talked about that movie for a long that's, time. That's, but that's okay. why, okay. That's why I like to wait. If I see a movie with someone, I like to wait till we're clear of other people to talk about it because so I want to people... respect their, you know, I don't want to rain on somebody's parade or, and I also, cause I also hate it when I see a movie that I loved and someone behind me is like, ugh. like I remember this goes all the way back to Castaway. Someone saying like oh, there's yeah. two hours and never getting back. And then I remember the end of, uh, um, what was the who shall shun, uh, the assassin? Oh yeah. Uh, someone, as soon as the movie ended, the guy behind me went, are you kidding me? And I was like, dude, this was a beautiful movie. Just take it out to the fucking hallway anyway. Um, but I also don't want to be like, I remember like what leaving my screening of, uh, was that awful Eddie Redmayne movie. Like that narrows it down. Uh, the Danish girl, <laughs> you're the Danish girl. <laughs> yeah. I remember walking to that. Like I was like, trying to keep my eyeballs in my head. I was rolling them so much, but like waiting for the elevator, people were like, <laughs> like, you know, like dabbing their eyes with their hankies. And I was like, I guess it worked for some people. And I kept it to myself. Everything that's works for somebody. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. Um, all right. Uh, I've got a few in a row here. Uh, I'm going to burn through them. Uh, first one is a new movie from Paolo Sorrentino. I am an unabashed Paolo Sorrentino fan. I know he's got his haters out there. Um, uh, but uh, The Great Beauty was my favorite movie of 2013. I really liked Youth, and I, I, even though I know some people really didn't like Youth. Um, I liked it a lot. So his new movie is called Loro, which I guess is Italian for them. Uh, and it's... It's about the giant ants? <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> it's it's not his best. Um, and also part of that is because it's... In Italy, it's a it's two movies, Laura one and two hmm. that have been, that are, that have been edited down into one, like two and a half hour movie here. And it tells sort of two different stories. One about, uh, uh, and sort of, uh, social climber guy who wants to get into the circle of the former prime minister who is named Silvio. And the movie makes clear in a disclaimer at the top of the movie is not based on Silvio Berlusconi even though he totally is, that's the idea. Um, and that's of course played by Tony Savillo, uh, uh, Paolo Sorrentino's, uh, muse, I guess, who starred in, in, uh, in, in the great beauty and in Il Devo, um, and some other older stuff that I haven't seen. Um, uh, and I, it's, it's full of a lot of the, um, Paolo Sorrentino sort of excess, although it's weirdly less surreal than I've come to expect from him. um, and a little more conventional in many ways. Uh, it's a great performance from Tony Cervillo. I, I think I would like to see it in its original format because I, uh, I get the impression they kept a lot more of the Silvio Berlusconi stuff than the 
other guy stuff because he the, the younger guy who is basically he like becomes a quote unquote talent agent who's representing young women who will just show up uh, at people's rich people's parties and he's basically doing this because he knows that's something that Silvio Berlusconi again that's not the character's name uh, likes and he wants to get into his good graces so he's trying to supply party girls I guess to mm-hmm. hang out at his villa and his story gets kind of lost for a long long stretches of time and uh, it does feel like maybe maybe in the original that are a little bit more evenly balanced um, I'd like to see it uh, in its original format but ultimately it's um, uh not his best work. It sort of covers a lot of the same type of ground as Il Devo and sort of looking at uh, uh, a, um, a charismatic but uh, morally uh, compromised or bankrupt uh, prime minister. Um, but there's also a whole lot of comparisons. I don't know how intentional, but you can't help make comparisons between Silvio Berlusconi and Donald Trump. Um, they both made their fortunes elsewhere and became self-serving uh, heads of state. Um, last thing I'll say not about the movie, but I noticed there's, it's never commented on, but there's a shot of the Silvio Berlusconi's character's yacht, and the name of the yacht is the Cloud Atlas. <laughs> oh. I, I was like, what? I was like, is this just a nod to another two and a half hour movie? <laughs> or, like, this has nothing in common, but it's like, uh, I can't stop thinking about why that is. Uh, I'll real briefly talk about Monsters and Men, which is a little movie that I saw before Tiff. Um, and is about to, I think about to come out or at least coming out this fall. Um, it's uh, uh, definitely of note. Um, it, it's very timely in that uh, it's a the movie's a, a, a triptych about three different characters in the aftermath of like the hate you give a police shoot a white police officer shooting an unarmed black man. Um, and each sort of story gets a little further from the center. The first character is um, the passerby who happened to record the incident on his cell phone the second character um and this is why the movie is definitely going to benefit from black Klansman because the second character played by john david washington Mm. um is a cop in the same precinct but who was not involved in the shooting but is obviously both a cop in the precinct and a black man sort of um uh dealing with different sides of his life uh of you know pulling him in different directions on this issue and then the third character is just a kid from the neighborhood who didn't know the guy wasn't there but is you see how his life is affected Hmm. as well um i mean it's a very dialectical sort of like here's what this movie's about here's the point that it's points is trying to make but i think it's a uh as a as a white liberal i think it is sort of eye-opening to get a look at what activism and protest means to people who actually have something to lose because i really don't Mm -hmm. you know I mean, depending on how far I go, but I can show up at the marches and hold the signs and everything, but I'm not really threatened and I'm not really risking anything. And that's the thing I found most interesting about monsters and men, even though it might be a little bit dry. All right. And then finally, uh, movie that I was excited. About. Okay. I, uh, I did make a point while I was there at TIFF to see a couple of Canadian movies. So I saw a, mo- a movie by director Patricia Razuma called mouthpiece, which is based on a stage oh. play. Um, which I got a lot of. Oh uh, boy! Yeah, I, did you see the movie, David? That's, that, That's my okay. question. So the movie has a reveal that I think different viewers will realize at different points. It's sort of you know some people might get it in the second scene, some people might get it further on. But there's something going on in the movie that I went out of my way in my review not to reveal, and then got told by multiple people in the comments like, uh, obviously you didn't even see the movie, or you're too stupid to understand it because 
that's not what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to preserve the thing. Yeah. I'm trying like, I'm trying to respect the movie. Um, I like the idea that like these guys watch six Sense. like you're talking about six Sense, and like, uh, <laughs> clearly you don't understand what's going on with Bruce Willis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the other side of it is if you had said what the of kind course. of reveal is, then they would be jumping down your throat. Right. Sometimes even for movies where like there's a reveal in the second scene, like, uh, you remember Blade Runner 2049, yeah. like last year, the, they were trying so hard to preserve a bit of information that is literally revealed in the first scene. And it was just yeah. like, yeah. And then if you Which Tyler gave away in his review, I gave away because, <laughs> because it was revealed so early. I know. Yeah. And uh, and I think I don't think anybody gave me shit about it. Except no, you. no one. No one. <laughs> there's yeah, no, no one there's said. no winning, though. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Continue. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I got an email not about your review. I got an email that went to because I'm the person who faces all the PR mm-hmm. people for Battleship Pretension. I got an email just it was an email blast about please try to. Uh, you know, preserve this, and I didn't forward it to you, um, and I'm glad I didn't. Matt. Uh, anyway, I do what um, I want. Yeah, and then I read Alan Churchill's review in the Voice, and he gave away so much more than you did. And I was like, <laughs> all right, no one cares. Um, all right, so uh, okay, so mouthpiece. I'm not going to say much more. It's about two girls who I'm going to call them sisters. I got in a bunch of trouble for calling them sisters in the movie because minor spoiler they're not actually sisters that's not really the reveal you'll figure it out if you see the movie um in the aftermath of their mother's death Mm -hmm. and sort of dealing with um their very complex feelings about their mother and about their own lives and their mother because they're uh, writers and their mother wanted to be a writer uh and became sort of in their view a uh traditional housewife type um and i think the movie on the one hand, I think it it um, speaks uh, very interestingly to the uh, the idea that those of us like myself who are consumers of the progressive and were raised by people who you wouldn't count as progressive, like there's a push and pull between like not approving of their lifestyle but also recognizing that their lifestyle is what made me exist like so obviously there's something worthwhile going on there and so that push and pull push and pull on paper is very interesting i think the movie uh drops the ball again and again with kind of um not being able to flesh out the mother character through the many many flashbacks um and there's too much of just despite we got an actress playing the mother and yet everything we learned about her is what's very baldly projected onto her by the screenplay and mm. the characters. Uh, it seemed like a missed opportunity. Um, okay. Now you get to talk about, uh, Chris Pine's penis. Ooh, love that. Okay. See, that's an odd title. I think, <laughs> I mean, that's up there with her smell. I think, especially, <laughs> especially cause Chris Pine isn't even in it. He's played by Chris Pratt. <laughs> Um, so we are talking about Outlaw King is the actual title of this uh, movie. And Chris Pine plays Robert the Bruce, the king who united Scotland many, 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 many years ago. Uh, yeah, so that's the premise. The reason everyone was talking about his penis is there is a scene where he has full frontal nudity briefly for no real reason, which is fine. But, uh, you know, it's the other reason we're talking about is because this movie doesn't have that much going on. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Um, it's a movie I 
almost liked. It's very, very beautiful. Like, um, you know, like there's so many shots where it was just like, ah, I gotta, I gotta go to Scotland. It looks, it looks gorgeous. All this, all this beautiful scenery, all these beautiful people, etc., etc. You know, there's a lot of like battle scenes that are pretty well done and whatnot, but. After a while, I started to be like, oh, okay, so this is, it's just, this is it. Because what what started, it, to me, after a while, it started to feel like one of those, um, you know, one of those um, historical dramas that kind of feels like a Wikipedia entry of like, well, this mm-hmm. happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And you're just like, okay, like, sure. That's, you know, I, like, I, I don't know, when I watch a movie, I don't want just the interesting kind of historical like the summary I want to know like you know like who are these people what's it like to live in this world like what like show me kind of some, like some other way in besides just information on what happened so I wasn't super into it that said there are like little flashes in the movie where like I was like this was almost an interesting like a little bit weird or a little bit more interesting like there are little sparks of life especially um, Florence Pugh she is from Lady Macbeth and she plays his wife and she is like basically anytime her and him are on screen together you kind of just get like a little flare of Life and a little uh, look at their kind of relationship and it, it really kind of makes the movie suddenly feel a lot more warm and human in a way that I think a lot of it is missing. But yes, thank God for Chris Pine's penis because otherwise I feel like everyone would have forgotten about this movie so much faster. What's uh, interesting though is that if you look at the Wikipedia entry for Robert the Bruce, there is a little moment there when it talks about like his early life and it just says, he showed his penis. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. It's just right there. But it's cited. It's cited but there. But there's like a wood yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the penis scene is just like there's it, it's not even like a sex scene or something. there is a sex scene but it's like you don't really see anything but then like later on there's a scene where he's just like standing around talking to his you know soldiers about like their plans or whatever and he's just bathing in a river and he's in there like up to the thighs so he's just letting it hang out and you're just like oh there Good it is him. great um yeah uh I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that it's not that great because when you mention warm and human, that's what I kind of have come to expect from David McKenzie. Even when he makes something very harrowing like Starred Up, um, he has a real uh, sense for uh, humanity. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I was hoping for from Outlocking. There, it's there in flashes, but it's kind of like too few and far in between for how long the movie is and how much other <laughs> stuff is going on. All right. Uh Real quick, the other Canadian movie that I went to see is a movie called Splinters, which I uh, didn't plan this, but is also about a daughter reacting to the death of a parent. Um, it's about a, uh, a girl who lives in the city and uh, has is a, is a lesbian and comes back to her far, small town farmhouse uh, in Nova Scotia after uh, the death of her father. Um, and is there for the funeral and all that stuff, but is also dealing with the fact that she hasn't spoken to her mother because her mother has essentially uh, stopped talking to her since she came out of the closet. Um, and uh, did I say it's called Splinters? I think I said mm-hmm. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a very it's a very sweet movie. It feels like one of those it feels like one of those nineties indie like domestic drama type movies. Um, that is, I, I think, I think it's well observed. Some of the acting is a little amateurish. Um, although the main, the main, uh, young woman, I, whose name I'm forgetting now, uh, is quite good. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's well observed. It's a, a, a nice hundred or so minutes of the movie theater, even though I feel like it's message is a little like, I was like, this movie just like, tell me that the, 
disowned lesbian should be nicer to her bigoted mother? Is that is that the point of this? I was like, is that what this movie's trying to say? Like, it could, but it feels like the mother doesn't really learn any lessons. Mm. You know what I mean? I would like if it were, if it were more of a coming together. I'd like that, but it did seem like I don't. And I don't think it was intentional. Okay. Uh, like I think the movie thinks it's uh, more on the lesbian girl side than it is, but it really came away being like she's the only one who has to give at all here. Well, Weird. and I and that's the thing is like when you say it's not intentional, I feel like that's where uh, it becomes a problem because I think it would be interesting to have a movie where you have somebody who clearly is not budging. Uh-huh. And another person who, but who still, and then another person who has the ch- a choice to make, like I can either be the better person right. here, yeah, 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 uh, or not. But if it's doing it, if it's doing that I, by accident, that's. I a think problem. the movie thinks it's more about these two like coming together and understanding each other, but the mother doesn't really learn any lessons or give at all. Yeah, it, it was kind of upsetting to me. Um, Anyway, and then uh, next up, and then we'll toss it back to Angie. Uh, my least favorite film of the festival. Oh, boy. Now, back in 2015. I will allow you seven minutes. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to use half of it drinking this water. Okay. Ah. All right. Um, so back in 2015, I saw a movie that I gave a mixed but leaning positive review for. It ended up winning the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. It was called Son of Saul. Ah, yes. Now... I think that movie might be terrible <laughs> because I think the stuff that I was mixed about feels like it was confirmed by Lajla Nemish's new movie Sunset. When I, where, you know, there's something about Son of Saul feels very self-important, but also it's about the Holocaust. Like it's not supposed to be. A lot of people love Son of Saul. Uh, yeah. A lot of people hated it too. Actually. Okay. All right. Um, uh, and so I, I, I kind of felt like I cut it some slack on its what could be perceived as pompousness. And I chose to interpret the pompousness as just being respectful of the subject sure. material. But, uh, I'm, now I'm pretty sure maybe this Lajla Nemes guy is just fucking full of himself and thinks he's great and is making these great movies because now he's essentially taken this so much of the same tone and aesthetic as he did about this, the harrowing story of this guy trying to give a Jewish boy, a proper burial at the, at a concentration camp to a story about a young lady who really wants to make hats. Uh, <laughs> I'm being, I'm being clear. The movie is about more than that, but it's basically, uh, this young woman, um, whose parents died when she was two. Um, and when she was raised in an orphanage, she's now come back to Budapest where her parents lived to try to work in the hat store and hat maker hat factory, I guess, whatever, wherever they make hats, the millinery is what it's called, um, that her parents owned. Um, and as she does this, she finds out that, uh, her parents history with the city of Budapest is maybe a little more complicated, a little darker, a little deeper than she thought. And maybe there are some members of her family. She that survived this fire that she had never even heard about her entire life. So you get into some interesting stuff, but everything is so fucking deadly serious all the time that I kept, I'm, I, Okay, as I just talked about trying not to ruin the experience from others, I did laugh out loud a few times. Oh, it was, boy. Uh, you know, I, 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 I try not to be that kind of dick um, who's laughing at a movie that is, essentially, that is very much not supposed to be funny. But there's some stuff that's just so ridiculous. And it's because, part of it is because he insists on that same uh, uh, trick that he used in Son of Saul of mostly staying in the same frame with the same lens 
you know, in close up on the character. And so a lot of times you have to have exposition just sort of shouted from off screen characters <laughs> and it's ridiculous. And then everyone is so serious and no one answers her questions. And I'm like, this isn't the Holocaust. She just wants to make hats. Why is everyone being so <laughs> ominous about everything? And someone like people are actually like, leave this place. And it's like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It's two and a half hours long. Like all the movies, apparently that I saw at TIFF. Uh, and it was my least favorite by a long shot. Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, but now Angie gets to tell us about the movie that everyone loved and will hate in three months. Okay. Well, with an intro like that, where am I supposed to go from there? We are going to talk about A Star is Born, directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And, you know, it's like, if you've seen the other ones, it's kind of the same story. So he plays a very big time, you know, a very famous, very successful musician who is uh, kind of, you know, he's, he's still very successful, but he's clearly got like... So a drinking problem is clearly kind of unhappy and whatnot. She is a uh, beautiful, talented nobody that he meets and they fall in love and he takes her under his wing and her and like under and like, you know, like throughout her relationship with him, her career starts to really take off. So that's, you know, that's the premise, which you're probably already familiar with. Um, and uh, I feel like this movie played it. I think it played at Venice before and the and the reviews were just like like out of this world so I was I was excited it's it's very good I don't think that it's I'm not one of those people that are I'm like oh like I'm not kind of one of the most positive on it like some mm-hmm. people really really love it but I, I really liked it I think that they're you know that like scene in the trailer where she does that like really that where she belts out that song and everyone's just, like that when when it actually plays in the movie it was a scene where I was just like uh, you know kind of just overcome it was like just emotionally overwhelming and it's it, like in that moment moment it was just incredible the rest of the movie is is very good he is uh you know he's a like like i feel like we didn't know what to expect from him or her we haven't seen him direct we haven't seen her act mm-hmm. they both quit themselves well enough that you would well, not know it was their first we have seen her act those of us who watched the sopranos because she was in that one scene in the sopranos <laughs> i've seen her act in her music videos but you know what i mean like you haven't uh and and both of them do well enough that i if i did not know that it was her first time doing it i would not have uh I, I would not have picked that up i will say though a lot of the movies at tiff including this one i don't know why but this year there were so many movies where people were just refused to keep the camera still for like two seconds so i could see what was happening <laughs> and it started to just kind of irritate the hell out of me after a while this happens in um See, now I'm just now I'm using my time to talk about different movies. But go. this happened in Outlaw King. This happened in like First Man. There's, this, there's a lot of scenes where there's like someone sitting still in a room, but the camera has to be exciting. So it's like zooming in and like moving around. And I'm just like, just fucking chill. It reminds me of I remember. Uh, so when you're as uh, inundated in Christian film as I have been in the past, you start to notice the development of it. And I remember the film uh, War Room. Uh, in 2015, I believe. And it's not good. Um, but I had seen this director, like, he'd made Fireproof, he made a film called Courageous, and then he made War Room. And in War Room, that's when he started to get ambitious with his camera and, like, really, and just had it, like, constantly moving. Not, like, quick zooms or anything, but just constantly, like, just very just sort of gliding over the frame, over, you know, the action and stuff. And I remember... I thought, like, well, this is definitely more visually interesting than his other movies, in which case it was just a static camera. But you also just get this feeling that, like, okay, so you re- you just realize the camera can move. 
(laughs) And so you're going to move it. Right. Doesn't matter if it's right for the scene. You're just going to, you're going to do this because you can. And to show that this is a real movie, damn it. Yeah. Real movies have moving cameras. So that's Bradley Cooper like, this is directing, right? (laughs) This is what I'm doing. It does. I'm being, I'm being unfair. It's like a, it's a very small part of what otherwise works very well. It's just a minor complaint that I had that like, you know, like, like throughout the festival, I just started to notice it more and more. So each time it happened, I got more and more irritated. And so that that's that's uh, that's it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like they, them together. They have they have incredible chemistry. Like, I, I think that it's it's, you know, with that plot, it, you kind of have to. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. work. And it, it completely works like you completely buy into this relationship that, you know, is just not going to work out for either of them really in the end. But oh, my God, like while you're in it, you're in it. All right. I'm, I'm excited for it. Well, um, if you it's like good. still cameras, you should have seen three faces, by the way. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, they're all locked down pretty much the whole time. What about a camera uh, that moves when it should move and stays still when it should stay still? Is that too much to ask? I think it is. Uh, all right. Well, what is this, the 50s? That's, uh, that's it for Angie. I've got two more that I'm going to run through. Don't, don't leave, though, Angie. We want to, like, do plugs and stuff at the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, so a couple more. Um, and these are both the movies I saw on my last day there, and uh, they're in the order that I saw them, and I kind of feel like they're both like, oh, this is what I... I went all the way to Toronto to see these two, like, <laughs> uh, especially since one already came out. Um, anyway, so uh, the first one I saw is Michael Winterbottom's The Wedding Guest. I feel like I like M- Michael Winterbottom because I like 24-hour party people, <laughs> and... Uh, um, oh, there's another one from that that time that I'm missing. In the in in this world is one, but there's one before that that I'm forgetting now that I liked. He's uh, one of those directors that like I always forget his filmography. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know why. He did Tristram Shandy. He yeah, did the which trip I movies. Love. Yeah, um, he did that movie. Um, uh, not 2046, but Code 46. 2046 is right. why Code 46 is the boring sci-fi movie he made with Tim Robbins and Smith. He did Robert. A Mighty Heart. Uh, never saw that. I saw Go Now, which is one of his earlier movies. Uh, Robert Carlyle uh, has a disease. I can't remember what disease. Anyway, so The Wedding Guest, Dev Patel plays a, um, uh, I don't want to say hitman, but like a hired gun who has been we don't know entirely at first why he's been hired to go to Pakistan and kidnap a woman. Um, and then sort of plans change plans go awry. The guy who hired him, uh, kind of flakes on paying him. And so it becomes sort of a, uh, uh, it becomes one of the, it's a genre on its own of like the kidnapper and the woman he kidnapped going on a road trip together. Uh, and it's, uh, about as good as most of those movies, I guess. It's not a comedy, like, uh, I don't know, Excess Baggage <laughs> is one of those movies. Um, in fact, it's maybe overly serious. And also, speaking of things we do visually that we're sick of, th- and this feels like 10 years old. Do you remember, uh, there were all those articles probably in like 2011 or 2012 about how everything is color time to be orange and blue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Wedding Guest is an orange and blue movie. Um, and uh, it's it's, un- it's unfortunate that Mike, that a, uh, a, a talented director, if journeyman, like Michael no. Winterbottom, is falling back on a trope that was everyone was already pointing out was done to death seven years ago. At least it's uh, not speed ramping. Uh, at least it's not, yeah, no, there's definitely no speed ramping in this uh, Dev Patel uh, <laughs> um uh, hitman romance. Um, Incidentally, how effective 
of a hitman are you if people are flaking on paying you? Like, <laughs> I feel like if anybody is going to get paid, it's the person that kills people for a living. But yeah, this is a, a good point. That's a good point. Um, but I also think, uh, so I want to, because of the, uh, the, the woman, the, the kid, uh, Radhika Apte is the actress's name. Uh, and she's terrific, but unfortunately the screenplay is not nearly as clever as it thinks it is. And I feel like it, ends on a place that's supposed I think it's supposed to be like a gut punch but that I saw from the, I saw coming from the beginning of the second act um, and I'm not someone who tries to guess the end of movies it just seemed very obvious where things were going and then they go there and then the movie's over uh, and that was kind of a bummer and then the last movie I saw uh, the movie from Alma Asante it's called Where Hands Touch it's already in theaters uh, this is the Amanda Amandala Stenberg uh, movie that I saw and uh, Alma Asante made I, I didn't see her last movie which I think was A United Kingdom but before that she made the movie Bell with Gugu Mbatha-Raw which is a great movie um, and Where Hands Touch does not quite live up to that uh, that level but is still a, uh, a worthy effort, effort on its own and a great performance from Amanda Stenberg and it's a true story of a um, mixed race girl uh, during the Holocaust um, who's uh, you know her her level of safety in Berlin becomes lower and lower as things go on at first because she's born of a white German mother people kind of leave her alone but uh, as things get worse and worse um, she comes you know closer and closer to being sent away to a camp meanwhile she's uh, starting a romance with a Hitler youth kid um, yeah um, who's uh, yeah um, so her her mother is played by Abby Cornish and the Hitler youth kid's father is played by Christopher Eccleston Um, Mm. so you've got a good you've got a good cast here it's really it's really kind of by the numbers stuff, but there is just something inherent in the story, much like bell. Um, and I, I didn't see United Kingdom, but bell is also a movie about a woman of color in a setting that we've seen so many movies take place in that, that, but are all about always about European whites because that's the dominant, uh, you know, culture in, in these settings. And so there's something inherently interesting and powerful in seeing the tropes that we've seen before from a point of view that we've pretty much never had reason to, uh, uh to examine them from. Um, again, it's no bell, but, uh, it's fairly well done. I'll say, I very, very vehemently don't care when someone's accent is bad in a movie, but I would say if you're one of those people who gets bothered by bad accents, maybe steer clear of where hands touch because no one is doing a good German accent in the entire movie. Um, I don't care about that, but uh, it bothers people, so I'll point it out. Um, All right, that's it. We did it. Yeah. Under two hours. Was it under? Is it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to fuck around for a second here, sure. so we'll probably go over two hours. But, uh, Angie, thank you for coming and talking Tiff on the show. Thank you for having me. I, I guess it worked out that we saw all these different things because we have to cover so many movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But maybe next year we'll actually see each other in Toronto. That would be uh, nice. That would be nice. All right. Um, 
you guys can find us. You can find most of these movie reviews. I'm sorry, I'm behind uh, on posting uh, and finishing up reviews. You can find reviews of most of the movies that I talked about at BattleshipRetention.com. You see the re- reviews of the rest of them t- uh, in the days to come as I finish things up. Um, that's at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at TylerPretension. Tyler, you mentioned more than one lesson. Yes. That's a thing you, that you do. Yeah. Uh, what's going on there this week uh we talk about the good place with my friend uh tyler stracely who wrote an episode in season two and uh so yeah we talk about it uh season two really as we know from the movie journal uh sparked a lot of uh a lot of thoughts in me um Mm -hmm. it's a great season of television and uh so it was a lot of fun talking with tyler about it all right um and angie where can people find you on the internet uh, you can find my writing, including my reviews from TIFF, at Mashable.com, and you can find me on Twitter at AJHAN. Thank you again so much for coming and uh, speeding through all these uh, these movie review recaps. Uh, this is a blast. It's always a pleasure. Next year, we'll get to do it even faster. We'll, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I can't wait to... Uh, compare your feelings about a star is born now to your feelings about a star is born on uh, the night before Oscar night when you will have ne- inevitably turned on it completely. Oh, and you would have been God. like, I told you that camera moved too fucking much. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of lens flare. There's a lot, of, okay. a lot of lens flare. Okay. This sounds like maybe not my kind of movie, but I like, I like two of the, th- you know what? I like some of the other star is born movies. We're not going to get into that. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 